Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Just want to make sure everything is all good on a Monday night. We are starting a few minutes late, which is actually 10 times better than what we normally do. So props to us on that regards. Episode 167 presented by Cosmic Disc Golf. Go check out all your Cosmic needs over at CosmicDG.com. Very exciting interview tonight. Matt is actually live from an airport right now. And I'm not really sure what state. Might even be Michigan, might be Florida, who knows. But Matt... If you can hear us, go ahead and start talking. Oh, I, I got permission to talk. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I am I am in Detroit, and it wasn't planned for me to be here. I was actually supposed to already be in Des Moines with Matt Schlebach in his disc golf store, Titan Disc Golf. I was supposed to be there. It was going to be a cool thing. Still going to be a cool thing. I'll meet up with him this week, but long story short you know flight delays i've traveled a lot doesn't have delays happen a lot i don't always miss my flights missed the flight ended up buying a different ticket different airline i'm at a different concourse in detroit than i've ever been in and now i'm just hanging out here you can see the trees behind me i found a little corner i'm ready to talk disc golf Very Paige nice. pierce tonight Paige pierce at 720 mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people talking about it but she's ready to give an update there's a documentary that just dropped by idio We'll, we'll talk about that, but how's her rehab going? And then after that interview, my uh, little birdie friend told me that Gannon is going to be with Matt Schlebach, the caddy pro disc golf for combo duo, and they're going to join the show after the interview. So stick around. Should be a good night. Exactly. Nice little night of talking off-season topics, but biggest thing right now is talking about Paige Pierce. And uh, she actually just got married. She has a new shoe dropping, which we are going to talk about at 720, along with a mini documentary series. All things that we are going to talk about in just a little bit. Uh, We do have Evan in his own studio. So hello, Evan. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. It's going good, man. Going good. Long time no talk. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. This is a whole week. Yeah, this is the the fun part of just... Off season in general is uh, fortunately we actually just had the holidays. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I know it's a little bit belated now, but I was able to get down to Virginia for a couple of days, spend time with my girlfriend and her family, and then uh, so I had the nice long drive back. Was able to kill a couple hours talking to the Nick and Matt show guys about some new and exciting things for the 2024 season. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. Hope everyone had a solid holiday season so far. Yeah. So I'm taking a picture because I have another phone here that has my notes on it because I have one for streaming, one for the notes, but I'm taking a picture to uh, show my wife how fun it is when I travel. But here's what, what one of my notes it starts out like this. I was just perusing through social media and I noticed that a few players, handfuls of players, maybe that's exaggerating, four of them maybe over the last week or two, I've noticed selling their vehicles, mm-hmm. their, their travel vehicles or tour vehicles. And I thought to myself, as I was perusing around, I'm like upgrading, like, so when they go to sell, I said their travel vans or they're upgrading them. It's like a different version of cribs. You actually get to see what these guys are actually dealing yeah. with on the road. It's like, oh, look, that's what they've been doing for the last year or two. Right. And so it's interesting because I find myself being like, oh, that's kind of nice. Like I could probably do that. And then some you're like, eh, like, man, that is yeah. absolutely roughing at the single life, you know? And so uh anyways what, what do you guys think you see people selling stuff what, what you have any thoughts when you see that stuff 
Yeah, I mean, everyone seems so. A lot of players seem like they're selling their tour vans to start Airbnb with friends, uh, getting a group of people together, going in on Airbnbs throughout the tour stops, which I think is actually numbers wise. I don't know how well it breaks down. I don't know the exact cost of what it's like living in a van or anything like that, how much fuel you're using, gas you're using, or anything like that. But at the same time, being able to go to a house with, you know, running water, a shower, a full kitchen, somewhere you can stand up, you can sleep, you have a bedroom, everything like that is uh, a lot of good perks to the Airbnb lifestyle. Um, I know Airbnb prices have gone pretty crazy over the last year or two, but you get a good group of people out there. It seems like a lot of the touring disc golfers kind of do have their clicks to where they they got enough people. I know it's something that Ezra had um, downsized from the, one of the Discraft RVs that he had. He went to a small SUV. And is traveling around Airbnb, um, you know, Gannon and his friends, I think, are slowly moving into the Airbnb lifestyle. So realistically, um, and we can talk about Gannon or we can talk about it with Gannon later on if that's something that he's doing for the next season. But I think ultimately, if you have a good group of three, four or five people getting the Airbnbs to me personally sounds like a much better option than a van. Yeah, a van definitely is like a short-term solution, in my opinion. It's something where, hey, you want to hit the road, you want to be able to you know, actually live and have things, but then it's a grind. You can do it for a year or two, maybe three, and then you're going to start pushing out to uh, different solutions. Uh, some people might like it, but I think that's going to be a small minority uh, over the long term. I think one of the people to do it kind of the smartest in the sport right now is Ricky, actually. He travels with... You know, a smaller van, but he has a trailer on the back of it and he hustles when he's out on the road as well by selling running clinics, selling merch, selling discs and everything like that. And I think, you know, one of the one of the ways that a professional disc golfer makes a paycheck is by how many discs that they sell. So a lot of players, if you get a small SUV, tow a small trailer behind it, teach a couple lessons, some clinics throughout the weeks, get into the local area. Almost every single local area would be a static for, you know, an Isaac Robinson type player to go who's now a one time world champion to go to their local area, sell some discs, teach a clinic. How did he get to where he's at? A um, lot of lot of ways for professional players to make money on the road like that. And when you're in a van, yes, you can do that to a certain extent, but your storage is so limited for you got to put a bed in there. You got to put a small kitchen. You got to have all your clothes and everything like that, at least with an SUV and a trailer getting Airbnbs and hustling like that. I also think is a great, you know, Ricky's done it with tour managers over the years. They've been able to help out in that regards. So realistically i think that's one of the best options before we move on i'm curious how many people are still like you know hitting up local hosts uh that's something you used to be you know the thing to do and i know when the tour comes to new england we see you know when our local massachusetts facebook groups you see a handful number of pros asking hey does anyone have a room you know this Mm -hmm. this is what i need uh can anyone help me out and it's a solid number and I'm not in the know in what's going on in Iowa or Michigan or Florida, but I, I would assume that it's going to be something similar uh, throughout the tour. I don't know how many players are doing that on a week to week basis. Maybe it's like a, in a pinch stopgap, but uh, it leaves me curious. Yeah. Let's add that to the, um, the, the survey for the pros. Let's, let's do that. So like we can be like survey the pros on stuff next year to be like, how religious are you? And do you rent from people when you travel? <laughs> like, yeah. See if there's any collaborations yeah. there. It's pretty interesting. But but in all seriousness, I'm not making fun of it. I actually think there's so much incredible information that could be had. I don't know if they'd be willing to share. If it's anonymous, maybe. Um, and then you brought up, you know, who's asking to stay where and all that kind of stuff. And so that brought my mind to Bradley Williams and his partner, Lika. Uh, 
Lorenzen or Lorenzen, and um, she announced that she's moving from Prodigy. We don't know where, but my mindset was like, oh, she's one of those with Bradley who find those usually those Airbnbs. I don't know if they usually hit up the host, but they do reach out to see if people have stuff available. But Lika, she is moving. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit when yeah. we were getting closer to the offseason. We said she's a player who could and maybe should. And I'm not trying to like tout as we made that we, we knew this, but I'm just saying like it just goes to point out you have a good season. If you're you feel like you deserve more and they're not going to give it to you and someone else will. There you go. So exactly. she did that. She finished strong. Hey, oh, I was um, say, Evan, I, you, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we can't forget tonight, uh, Cosmic Disc Golf, uh, presenting sponsor of this episode. Cosmic Disc Golf, they're doing these tour circuits where you get to, um, he'll come around or he'll provide you with these tournaments in a box. And you get paid to run a tournament and he takes care of all the dirty work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so reach out to Cosmic, uh, find their disc stamped Cosmic, have a Cosmic Day in Marshall Street and other stores. Look them up online. Thanks to them for their support. Um, what I was going to say is, Evan, what do you think about this before the page gets in here? Champions Cup. It has been reassigned. Not to get into every detail about the course, the venue, all that stuff, but like, what do you think about the timeline and the fact that it's back in April um, and they've finally established like that it's happening? Like, what do you have any thoughts on that? I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm happy to see it still work at Northwood Park. Uh, I again, I get this feeling that it's meant to be the wooded major. So even if it has to move from champ uh, from WR Jackson or the International Disc Golf Center, uh, if it can move to another wooded course as good as Northwood is, uh, I think that's a good move and a positive uh, for the event. Uh, the dates is the tough part. You know, people clearly uh, didn't. Uh, respond well to the June date. So then I think this date is the next best option. Uh, people might say the one negative could be, uh, it could be cold in Illinois in April. Uh, to that, I say, that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are places where, you know, are probably not smart to go in, uh, let's say, spring and like new england is one you know the upper midwest like i don't want to play the preserve in april um but i think there's places where yeah it might be cold it might not be perfect we see that with las vegas every year when uh, as sunny as las vegas is it can be cold to start the year same with texas so this is going to feel kind of similar just a month or two later in a little bit of a colder climate and, and uh, if the pros have, if the pros have any problems with that they you can just lend them one of your 10 scars behind you <laughs> yeah right uh, you can uh root for the usa or uh, call that a buffalo that's and funny that's do funny. Uh, a ricky wysocki mask from uh waco that was awesome right. ski mask rick and yeah. yes and ben real quick if you need to message me like backdoor type messaging right now during the show send me a facebook message because i've got two phones going and if i text on this video phone it's going to mess things up okay so, anyway i hope I, hopefully we don't need to yeah, yeah, hopefully we don't need to, but I'm just like pre-planning because I'm like, I see messages pop up and I'm like, no. Okay, um, so let's see. Where am I going from here? So how about this? Main disc golf, main disc golf. I'm talking not like, not talking about the main, like as in like the state the of Maine. Point. I'm talking about the state. Thank you. Um, they raised $26,000 value is my understanding. 26000 dollar value for the victims fund for that um really disheartening horrible uh violent scene that took place up there uh, a few weeks ago a month ago 
And that's incredible, guys. The disc golf community is something special. It was not just like players in Maine that raised the money, but it was the donations of um, brands, manufacturers, a lot. You can see if you if you follow these guys in Maine, you can see everybody that was participating in that. I, I think that's just, it was worth shouting that out. $26,000 uh, from the disc golf community for that. Yeah. Maine's got such an incredible disc golf community up there. I've always appreciated everything that they've done in their area. They have a little Maine pro tour out there. They've been able to host the silver series event, actually large number of a tiers, um, incredible scene, notable players that, you know, like a notable player that went up there was Casey white and his girlfriend, Ellie. They went up to the event, the fundraiser, uh, were able to be a part of that. I just think, um, for what happened out there, such, you know, a great moment for Maine to be able to help out in that regards. And, um, so yeah, Maine's, Maine's got awesome things going on. New England disc golf is booming. Uh, so many great things happening up here in the Northeast. It's been incredible to be a part of, especially over the last few months since I've been home out here. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been nice. It's funny. Um, where I was living in Virginia, I go play any course and it's a free course when I'm up here, I'm like, Oh, I want to go play maple or pyramids or somewhere up in Maine. You're paying every single time, but the beautiful manscaped, uh, beautiful manicured, excuse me, beautifully, beautifully manicured courses up there. Uh, they're awesome. And there's so many good ones up there that I still haven't played yet. So shout out to Maine. We love them. A lot of their guys are up in the chat usually. So, um, we love the Maine disc golf scene. The manscape scene up there. The manscape scene, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're getting close here to at least uh, getting Paige in. I'm, I'm, I can't see the green room on this side when I'm remote like this. But when she's here, we'll bring her in. Um, wow, there's a fair amount to talk about, and I'm, I'm not going to make this interview about me at all. But I do find some level of interest in the fact that, like, within a month, three weeks after Paige had her injury literal three broken spots on her ankle like three broken portions of the bone and now her rehab i have been working really hard over the last two and a half months on my ankle issue and it's still lingering even to the point of like walking through the airport is still something i'm dealing with and i'm doing like full workouts every day intentional ankle stuff one leg squats on these air max pads i'm passing weights around my body balancing on one ankle like stretching it i'm doing it every day and it's still i'm four a little over four months out from the injury i can only imagine i guess is what i'm trying to say if you have a broken ankle it's just totally immobilized for months and months going into it the rehab process is just going to be more intense mm -hmm. and the things that i experienced are going to be like exacerbated like even way farther so like i saw her in a live video talk about Oh, like I have to trust the fact that like I can step on it, even going down a stair. Right. And it's weird thing because your body goes, I've always done this, but I don't believe it right now. And so you almost don't give it the chance to prove it right. You kind of like limp on it. Right. Or you you do all your fake walking and it's like it's a tough journey. And I'm interested to see how she talks about some of that. So that's that's uh, I don't know. What's the worst injury you guys have ever had? I think for me, honestly, it probably is the sprained ankle. I blew I blew my MCL in 2015 in my left leg. Really? Yep. Fun. I was uh, playing basketball when I was up at Bible College. I was playing basketball, and it was for the students versus the campers. It was kind of the all-star game. So we were playing on this outside court, and one of the areas, for the most part of the day, stays in the shade, and I didn't realize it. You know, went over. It's on this big island that they own up there at Word of Life, and 
back then when I was actually pretty athletic, I used to be able to dunk and I was playing college basketball for a year. So I was in good shape and I went up for a dunk. And when I actually did dunk it, as I was coming back down, um, I landed on my left leg, you know, kind of trying to do that, but it completely slipped out at me and I heard a pop and Ooh. wasn't, wasn't the ACL. That's what I was really nervous of, but it was a lot of, you know, taking it easy after that. And no real, I didn't do any real repair to it. I still, whenever I play basketball, I don't jump off of one foot anymore. I jump off of two and I can't nearly jump as much as I used to, as high as I used to. But, um, yeah, that's the same thing where like when I try to actually jump off that one leg, it kind of just for lack of confidence kind of shudders a little bit before I jump. And so I, I just don't anymore. You, you shudder a little bit. You're like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. I'm just like, Oh God, like, I don't want to deal with that again. And, uh, you know, maybe that's why yeah. I got a little hop in my disc golf game. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to take a little, <laughs> little pressure off of it. It's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. And yeah. that's, a, and it's a thing and that's part of rehab. And I'm interested to hear Paige's uh, conversation here. Um, I, I, my understanding is thanks to Ben in the back door here. He told me Paige is in. So the she back is. Door. We're ready yeah. to welcome. Paige is Are in. we ready to welcome we're, her in? We're, ben? we're ready. We are. So let's right, do let's it. Let's do it. Let's welcome to the show. Paige Pierce, welcome into the Nick and Matt show. How are we doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We are doing wonderful. very well. I feel like that's new, maybe a little bit. What's that? That's I like the theme music. It's oh, yeah. Oh, it's new. Yeah, it's we try new. to change it up a little bit. Usually some guests get different music. We don't know. Whatever Ben clicks is what happens. Oh, so. nice. It's different every time. Yeah, for, for, yeah we exactly. Did, like, we did some like epic like Olympic-style intro music once for a guest, and it was <laughs> yeah. like... It fell on its face because when the guests went to talk, their mic wasn't working, and we're like, oh, that was horrible. It was so anticlimactic, but the music hyped us up. It was a great interview. It was with Will Schustrick. Great interview right before USCGC. So, Paige, first off, I think the number one thing to say is congratulations. Looks like a beautiful wedding that you had recently. So, congratulations to you and Ayla. Is that... Ayla. I just saw yeah. that on Instagram. I saw her. She changed her username Breaking to, news. I think, it's Ayla Pierce. Uh, not officially yet. We got to okay. turn in the marriage certificate still. But yeah. um, Facebook yeah, official. We, I thought we were trying that out for a uh-huh. few days, but she sprung it on me today that it's like official <laughs> now. So. Very cool. I, I've messed it up already a couple times, but I'm get, getting used to it. <laughs> You'll get used it's to Facebook it. Facebook official. Yeah. Forget about the paperwork. Yeah. We're, we're going yeah. to Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh, that is cool. Yeah, congratulations on that. I've known you both for a while, and it's really cool to see this. So congratulations. Um, Thank you very much. So uh, we could talk about all different cool stuff, and actually one of my questions is probably going to lead to, like, generally, like, what have people never asked you that we should ask you? Like, what are, you know, what do we overlook when we talk to Paige? But we're not there yet. Let's jump into this. Unbroken. And this is a, a Paige Pierce documentary that Idio Productions has put together. It just dropped, I think it was either yesterday or the day before. Today, yeah. Today. Oh, it's today. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I must have got no the worries. sneak peek look at it, Paige. Yes, I think you did. <laughs> okay, so that's cool. I'm glad I didn't go spread the word yet, but that's cool. It was a great, well-done production. Uh, tell us about that. How did that come together? Like, was it purely like, hey, nobody's talking about your rehab and we want to? Like, how did that come together for you? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Um, Craig with the owner, um, he hit me up and just said like, hey, would it be something you would be okay with if we sent someone to you and kind of filmed some rehab stuff? And 
um, you know, I thought it was going to be like a, a commercial kind of thing for the shoe. And so to see that they obviously they wanted to promote the shoe and our collaboration, but um, that it was so much more than that, that they cared about my story and wanted to help me tell my story and and just wanted to know how everything was going. And um, so I, th I thought that was super cool. And, you know, the like you said, it's super well done. Like they went all out. I had to you're not allowed to get um, videos taken in physical mm -hmm. therapy because walls and stuff and so we had to sign off on all these papers and I think even signing off on the papers and getting the okays from the upper management even still then they weren't like really aware of uh the types of cameras and the crew <laughs> that was coming in so that was funny to see my physical therapy team be like almost nervous and like acting all weird <laughs> and um I think it, I think it went super well and and um yeah it's it's a cool piece to look back on and and realize like how far I've come I'm already thinking ahead cuz I know mm. I'm going to get better. Um mm -hmm. but yeah it'll be a cool thing to look back on and and be like wow uh, you know I was really they say un, it says unbroken but I really was broken there and already I'm doing better so I'm excited to to get past it even farther and look back on that. So, so a few things. One is, Paige, after I interviewed you, after you got back from Europe and was literally in the thick of it, like you were lit, like mm -hmm. I just rolled into the U.S. I think it was yeah. two or three weeks later, I severely sprained my ankle, my right ankle, like to the oh, point no. where I'm, I'm still rehabbing it. And I said, I, if this is only like a little smidgen of what Paige is dealing with, but like it gives me a little bit of insight. And I was telling the people before you came in, like I'm rehabbing it every day so hard and I can trust it now, but I still have the lingering effects of like achiness and all that. But you went totally immobile for how long? How long were you immobile? Like as in like you couldn't move it? Yeah, it happened on July 13th. And I was like, I didn't even get surgery for 13 days after that. Mm -hmm. And then after I got surgery, I couldn't walk for five weeks. So seven weeks, oh, couldn't put any weight, weight on it. Wow. It, and that's just, so that's your mobility. But then like, were you still in like a cast or like a boot where you weren't really moving the ankle? Yeah. Yeah. I, and then I went into a walking boot where I couldn't move the ankle still, but I could put weight on it. So I was okay. bearing weight, but yeah, I wasn't getting any range of motion. It was crazy when I got the cast off like even even now actually like my calf is so small and like I don't have like <laughs> muscular ones by any means but like my right leg looks super muscular compared to my left leg it, it just it's crazy <laughs> so now it's you know strengthening getting the dorsal flexion and yeah range of motion and the confidence and balance balance too we're doing like as as of my last appointment we're doing a lot of um standing on one leg they want me when i'm brushing my teeth to be balancing on my left foot like if i'm cooking in the kitchen left foot just kind of getting the balance back too so yeah so let me I, i'm not a professional but we have therapists who listen to our show physical therapists and they reached out to me after i said my ankle issue and they're like go go talk to a therapist in person definitely and when i got there i don't know if you have this but it was if you look it up or i can send it to you later it's called air max it's a pad i don't know if they have okay. you stand on it but it's, it makes it harder to balance. And so your yeah. ankle like fires, right? And yeah. I bought one of those for pretty cheap and I have it at my house. And what you're saying is something that I've been doing, which is standing on that one footed, <laughs> just like firing those muscles. So yeah, you're in this process. And how long have you been doing this rehab process now, like with the boot off? 
uh end of july end of august uh i guess since like the beginning of september probably okay yeah wow what type of gains have you seen so far like from start to now like where's your mindset um well so one thing i'm learning is that it's not all like this like progression that like in my head, I just thought, oh, every day it's going to get better. Like I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing, I'm healing. But knowing that there's days where, you know, I'm, I'm on the up, I'm on the up. And then I'll just have a day where I just like, I can't walk. And um, yeah, wondering how, how long that's going to last. Is that going to be something five years from now where I'm just like in the middle of worlds and, and I'm having one of those flare up days. I don't know. You know, that's all going to kind of trying not to put uh, too much forward thought on my mind on that but it's hard not to but um yeah just so just learning that it's it's not just this natural progression but um yeah the gains i've seen is just it's so i guess that's sorry i got off topic but like my point is like i'm seeing these gains but then it's like oh wait but now today i can't do that so every day going to physical therapy we do like a pain check and and a mobility check before we get into the physical therapy because some days i'm throwing like a 30 pound ball. That's been my biggest thing is like, um, grabbing like a 30 pound medicine ball and like shifting my weight from my back leg to my front leg, like I would do in disc golf and throwing it, um, and trying to get it like 40 feet across the room there. Um, and then staying balanced on my back leg. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like pushing this they call it like a sled, but pushing the sled, Mm -hmm. the sled itself weighs 70 pounds. And then putting like 60 to 80 pounds on there. So like up to 150 pounds, just like trying to push it. And when I go forward, like um, only on my toes or only on my heels. And then when I go backwards, only on my toes and um, yeah, stuff like that. But with all that weight, like these, this is stuff I've never done before. Like in disc golf, we don't have like, I I work with Seth disc golf strong, but it's really to get me warmed up and like, um, you know, just, I'm not, I don't have like a weightlifting program, you know? So this is really the first time I'm doing any of this. So I'm like, you know, building strength and, and seeing like, you know, this season we'll see how it goes. You know, obviously I'm still coming off an injury, but seeing like, okay, I've been doing this at least three times a week and, and pushing myself like what, what can be possible. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Besides for the ankle, how does the rest of the body feel since getting into the personal training and the physical therapy aspect of things? Yeah, mostly we're working on lower body, so I haven't really felt too much on my upper body, except now that I'm disc golfing again, Mm -hmm. um, playing nine holes or 12 holes, whatever my body can handle. It's like, um, you know, my my arm is sore. It's like, whoa, you know, that's that's a feeling I haven't had in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But mostly it's been lower body and like, yeah, hamstrings and my quads and my calves are definitely feeling, feeling it. So in a good way, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes we associate a lot of times we associate pain being a bad thing, but like realizing like that means I'm getting stronger and, you know, pushing past that has been, has been good for me for sure. I'm feeling so uh, (laughs) like it's weird, relatable because of the process I've been going through in a different way. I'm not trying to compare, but just like, I'm like, man, the the things you're saying, I'm like, yeah, same thing. You're like, will it be normal again? I watched one of your live videos where you kind of like, I'm going to jump off the back deck. It was one of your putting live videos. Yeah. And you're like, wait, I didn't really trust that. Let me go back. And it's, it's an interesting thing, right? Like you're, you're getting at this place probably 
and I think this is what I heard you say, where like you have to believe, you have to trust it. Yeah. And that's that's half the battle. Some of it's physical, but some of it's mental as well. So yeah. And I'm learning too, like that when I'm jumping like that, my even when I'm in physical therapy, it's a controlled room. You know, there's not like a branch here or a stick there or a rock mm-hmm. there that I need to worry about. I'm not in the woods. It's like the first five to 10 reps aren't very good. And then you, rep 15, you're like, okay, I'm trusting it more. Rep 30, you're like, oh, I'm killing it. So like, yeah, I think something that I know is going to be a factor in the 2024 season for me is, is warmups are going to take longer. You know, I'm going to need at least an hour and a half. And also once I get warmed up, not to sit down, like Mm -hmm. on Mm. backups, I'm not going to be able to just sit there and eat a snack and like wait it out under an umbrella, whatever. Like I'm going to be having to keep walking around and making Mm -hmm. sure my body stays warmed up because like even if i if i'm putting for an hour or i'm whatever i'm doing active then i go sit down when i get up again it takes me 15 minutes to kind of stretch and and feel good so like those are things i'm thinking about right now and you know we still have three months of off season but um just okay you know that is going to be my new reality so three months of off season you're counting down what event does that kind of put you back at in your mind three months like all stars Um, or well, I don't, I'm not sure. I haven't got a, uh, okay. what's it called? I might've voted for you. I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. Okay. I think I might've voted, but, okay. but this brings up, the, this brings up a question and we were actually talking about this. Maybe it was pre-show. I don't remember the conversations when I have them, but I was curious, will Paige Pierce, will you, the competitor return? If you're only 85%, are you going to wait till you're like, I have zero issues. It's just harder now as in I have to warm up longer. Or would you return yeah. if you're like 85? Like, or where are you at with that? No, um, I mean, for me, I'm, I actually, today I took my officials exam and, and signed up for my PDJ membership and all that, trying to sign up for tournaments. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm going to play, um, even if I'm at 80%, 70%, it's going to, my expectations are obviously going to need to be lowered. But um, I think, and what I'm, what I'm realizing right now, you know, a week and some change into throwing again is that I'm at this current stage, I'm like pretty solid around 300, 320. But when I'm throwing farther than that, it's very difficult because um, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not throwing properly right now. Um, I'm throwing a lot off the front of my body, off my front foot, not really getting the big push off my back foot. And so when I'm having to throw farther, um, it's just, it's painful for one, but also it's just, it's my timings all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I don't know. I mean, own, for example, she doesn't throw very far. She throws like three thirty, I would say that she would say. Um, and she is a killer. Like she's winning so many tournaments. She's always in contention. So, I think about it like that and it's like you know if if i'm right there hanging with own at her distance that's nothing to be sad about you know so just realizing the new page might not be the same and that that also might not be the end of the world you know but i think i'm gonna have to become a lot um more well-rounded as a player Mm -hmm. so yeah it's funny having a career with like 14 years behind 
behind me of playing one way and like having to change now having to not like deciding oh i'm gonna tweak my form but Mm -hmm. like having to so um yeah i just trying to be positive about it and realize that everybody changes their form at some point now i just i'm just like have to you know but whatever we'll see we'll see i think i think a lot of good is going to come from it i Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm cutting better right now um than i would have imagined before so that's such a such a page pierce thing to say good's going to come out of this i I have always said that page things positively um so and, and i believe it too for you i'm just saying it's so like it's on brand and i love it um so uh, what did I have here? I had a question here. Oh, off season. So off season, you're not on the course, which is most people aren't, but you had to kind of sit out the last half of the season, like marketing yourself. Was that at any level of priority, like to keep yourself in the people's brains or fans and how you're doing? I, I mean, there was updates along the way, but then things like the shoe, for instance, I'll just go there. Like idio is like, Hey, was this already in the works page like to do this shoe or was it like when you had your accident like let's do a shoe for you um i would say it's gone in waves um Mm -hmm. like right when i first broke my ankle it's like no i don't have anything to give anyone i like Mm -hmm. didn't want to talk to discraft didn't want to talk to my mom didn't want to talk you know i just was just feeling and dealing with things on my own i'm I, i i tend to get like that pretty yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather deal with my problems and my stresses and my troubles by myself. So yeah, just kind of like hide under a rock and like, you know, I'll see you guys when I get better. No need to drag anyone else into my stuff. So um, yeah, I definitely felt like I went through that for a while. But then there comes a point where it's like, okay, you know, my mom can only call me seven times before I, you know, keep declining her call before I just have to, because what is there to say? It's like, I'm okay. You know, I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm not doing good. I'm crying. I'm in pain, but I don't need to tell people that, you know, it's like, I'm okay. You know, to what extent of okay, that's, you know, for me to figure out. But, um, so yeah, I just, um, kind of was reclusive for a while there, but then, you know, talking to all my sponsors and, them saying hey do what you need to do get better like we'll figure everything else out later um and you know it's wasn't really my priority at all to Mm -hmm. to what whatever you want to call it market or promote or whatever so um yeah and then there came a time where it's like man i really want to like thank my sponsor specifically um in promotion because they were just so gracious with me you know a lot of our player contracts are like post this many times a month do that you know if there's a new release talk about that you know stuff like that and and they were just nobody got mad at me you know it's like completely understanding everything sending me support and so like for me it was i wanted to do those posts and promotions because of their understanding you know not not because my contract says that so that was like a switch that I had and just like, you know, also when I started believing I'm okay, you know, um, that was a big change too. So. Mm-hmm. So what's it like having your own shoe page? Uh, that seems like an athlete's thing to do. Yeah. It seems like an yeah. athlete's thing. So. Yeah, that it's, it's really crazy. I mean, that part for, for sure, you know, you think of like Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Steph Curry and 
for some reason it's like a lot of uh basketball players i'm realizing <laughs> the but, shoes baby um yeah the shoes you know but like and who, you know this would be just an absolute pipe dream but like this is that was the single most um like influential thing like at least financially and, and career-wise that michael jordan did was to make a shoe and now it's like it's past the basketball shoe it's like a fashion trend and a you know it's like this uh oh you never had jordans like what mm -hmm. you know and so like i don't know it's just it's just feels like so much bigger than disc golf and like they're they're good shoes for hiking they're good shoes for just like you know being bold too so like you know if anyone outdoor enthusiast that isn't playing disc golf ends up wearing the shoe that's just like you know crazy so yeah i, I think it's just such a such an exciting thing and um also just that we have forget about my personal shoe page pierce whatever just that disc golf now has a company that has specifically designed shoes for disc golf and like to be in partnership with them helping them create you know tweak the shoe or give ideas and bounce ideas off each other that that part has been as also amazing so yeah i i just love the whole partnership and you know again like i said them saying hey if you're comfortable with it we would love to document this this you know journey back to disc golf and and that just shows me like that they're in it for all the right reasons and i just couldn't appreciate them anymore so yeah i'm, I'm excited about the whole thing big time I, I got a quick question Paige. um so when you say about Speaking of shoe, is this your iteration of the Idio shoe? Is there anything new to it per se, or is it kind of like the same versions? Or did you specifically add something new to it that you thought you you needed to have for your signature shoe? No, not with this shoe. And I did um, I did talk to Craig once I first got on the team. Uh, again, Craig's the owner's name, but um, yeah, I talked to Craig when I first got on the team and. I'm like, you know, I love the shoes. The grip's good. The the stability's good. The durability, everything's good. But the shoelaces are just too short. Like once I, if I need to double knot them, I can't tie the shoes right. And, you know, he sends me this video of like, hey, this is how, you know, you make them longer, whatever. Um, and so, you know, realizing that they're, you know, it's like, I don't know, not that a shoe needs an instruction manual, but like, <laughs> you know, that, you know, th he's, he's thought of everything, you know what I mean? Mm. And like, even the, the hex, I think they call it the hex technology on the bottom of the shoe, like how it has, uh, mm -hmm. I'm kind of on my, on my screen, but I'm delayed a little bit, but, um, yeah, it looks like a hex. And so any, which way you pivot, what, whether you're throwing uh backhands, standstill, sidearm, whatever, um whichever way you're rotating it's meant to grab the ground and give you that grip so um just yeah again talking with craig and hearing every little reason that the shoe is this way um and for him being open to new ideas with this shoe though ben to answer your question no i didn't tweak anything um i just wanted to make sure my shoe was waterproof um and yeah that the shoelaces were long enough um but that was that was just a funny thing <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, you know, that's all I want in a shoe is, is grip and durability or proofing, especially with all the rounds we end up seeing seeming to play in the rain. So yeah, um, maybe for a future shoe, I don't really have any ideas currently, but I'm sure ankle support, high one, tops, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. 
That's a good point. I don't know. I I've don't never know. really gone for the high tops, but maybe no. I should maybe we should uh tweak a model and do a sample and see see about the 2.0 next year or something i wonder what we'd call them there'd be fun some fun name that we can make up for it you know in yeah history yeah. page shoe yeah stop, page shoe? stop. <laughs> you and all the okay, chat saying the same thing <laughs> Uh, Paige, Paige, I just want to talk about the shoe in general really quick. As a sponsored athlete by the company, what was kind of the, you know, yes, I would love to be sponsored by you guys because I do feel like this shoe, I don't know what you were wearing before. I think you were big with Keen, maybe the Keen shoes, the more the hiking kind of trail running shoes that they had. Um, but going to Idio, what was kind of the selling points that they got you on where you're like, wow, I, I do fully trust in this shoe and this is why I want to be a part of this brand. Yeah, for me, the first thing is trying the product, you know, companies reach out all the time, but if you don't like the product, then I'm not going to promote it. So the first thing was trying the shoes out um, and realizing I do love them. Um, and yeah, like you said, Nick, I, I did use Keen's before, but I, I wasn't, I was sponsored by Keen at one point, but then okay. we, there was a disc golfer that was in upper management and he, he no longer works there. So they stopped um, being involved with this at all. Mm -hmm. um so yeah then after after the Keens, i just uh i was sponsored by keens i just had a bunch left over i wasn't like committed to them so when craig expressed interest then you know i'm realizing after talking to him that it's literally made with this golf in mind in every sense of it um that was cool for me and realizing he's not trying to sell the baseball players he's he wants the sport to grow and he wants people to be protected in their shoe and you know that that for me was really cool and uh yeah i just i i love the the designs the colorways i love i love it all so yeah it was a pretty easy decision for me. so speaking of your colorway it's a great color and then like the branding name for it, isn't it like shatter skyscape or something or correct me if i'm wrong um that was news to me when i saw the marketing thing i didn't oh. know that we were calling anything different so um okay yeah, I loved that, which is cool because I either I missed the memo on that or something, but that was really cool that it it um aligned with something that I liked too. But um yeah, I just um obviously that's my signature colorway, the turquoise and like the fuchsia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to include that on the shoe, the logo placements, the on the bottom of the shoe there, um it's like speckled in there. Um on the shoelaces, well it comes with plain black but also we have the speckled shoelaces too and if any of you guys have bought them or are thinking about buying them put on the speckled ones because uh i don't even know if craig designed it this way but i think it was like maybe a happy accident maybe not craig tell me if i'm wrong but the speckled <laughs> ones not the plain black the speckled shoelaces they have like because of this the design they're like um textured and so when you tie them, they actually stay tied. Like the texture Ooh. keeps the shoelaces tied. I haven't had to re-tie my shoes once on the course or anything. Gotcha. So that's been really cool. Um, Very cool. And yeah, all, all the way down to the box and the and the bag and everything. So I yeah, that. I love, I love I the colorway. So I'm, I'm excited that you like it too, Matt. Yeah, yeah. No, the color, I, I do like it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a visually appealing shoe. I purchased the first Kickstarter version of the shoe. I've used it. It's in my cycle of shoes right now, but I'm excited yeah. to try version two. Cool. And um, 
I think people are going to, there's some people who are probably collecting your shoe. I'll put it that way, but where should they, and how long can they buy that? And also seeing the documentary, those, both of those things, where's the best place for people to do that, to buy the shoe and do the documentary. Yeah. Um, the documentary it's on both mine and idios, um, YouTube channels. And, uh, you can definitely, while you're there, you can just click the link on either of our, our, uh, YouTube channels for the link of the product. I also have it on my Instagram. If you click on the link in my bio, you can click the shoes, same thing on idios. Um, but yeah, just on idios website and then you'll see it. You'll see it for sure. Um, how long you guys- do you get it? I have no idea. Yeah. That's, I don't know. Unlimited I mean, we made a, No, we made a certain amount. So, okay. you know, when those okay. sell out, we'll, I don't know. We hadn't got that far because they hurry, just today. Hurry. There's only 10 <laughs> left, everybody. <laughs> I don't know how many are left. Yeah. yeah that's, that's good. That's good. The collector's market wants to know. Um, yeah. And Nate Sexton's another guy who's representing the brand with his own shoe, too. Yeah. So I think that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, very yeah. great ambassadors for for what you guys are doing and i think it's important for a brand like someone trying to get into disc golf to have people representing them and saying they like the shoe at the very least um and so people should get out there and try them man i'm, um, gonna, cu- I'm gonna cut you so, off really quick evan is also in the call with us evan do you have any questions we we've we've let intern ben shoot up a question so we gotta Woo-hoo! make sure that that mando evan kearns can also get his voice heard Oh man, you're putting me on the spot here because I just sometimes sit back and watch the show like I'm not on it. <laughs> I was having a ton of fun listening to this. So okay, uh, okay. he's hanging out with the I chat, you know. I'm hanging out with the chat. I I had to, I I watched the documentary, but I didn't actually see the shoes. So I looked at them, and those look fantastic. I am stoked. They they're very you page. They like embody you know your style, and I think they look so cool. So I'm I'm stoked to see them get released out. Now in the documentary Thank itself. You very much. Um, that's what you are wearing during your physical therapy, right? Are those idio shoes? Yeah. 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 So I actually, I received the shoes like two months ago mm-hmm. and then they were like, oh, but we're going to release them with this video shoot, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, so I can't wear them for the next month. I just got to look at them. Yeah. And so I like left them <laughs> yeah. right in my, in my living room. Cause then it's like, you know, you wear them on the course, somebody sees mm-hmm. you wearing them, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I just stared at them for a while and just kept opening the box. And then once the doc, um, the videographers got here, then I could start wearing them. And I only worn those specifically, uh, only those shoes since then, except for my slippers. I got some <laughs> slippers, on, you know, Very nice. let's go. I, I don't have as exciting of a story for my ankle issue, but I was wearing slippers. LL Bean, shout out LL Bean. Thanks for supporting this golf. But <laughs> I, I jumped from I jumped from my wet deck. It was raining in through the back sliding door that was wide open. And I jumped in like two feet, kind of like, I guess, kind of like a leapfrog, but maybe more staggered. And my right foot slid like the rubber bottom was wet. So it slid, but then it like dried out and it just yeah. rolled my ankle oh. over and it was oh. just all my weight right on it. I was on the ground for 30 minutes, like calling my wife. Like where where are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where are you? I'm like, honey, this is bad. I haven't ever had this happen. So <laughs> I cringe. I cringe every time I hear in the documentary and every time I've heard you slipping off that bridge. So we don't need to replay it, but this was fantastic. We're glad for your update and your preview here. I'm sorry that I had to be in an airport, but to me, I was enjoying the conversation. I don't know if you guys could hear the 
intercom. We are a little intercom here and there. <laughs> here and to there. be expected. Matt Graham, please report to your gate. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. While I was while I was here, actually, there was a guy that came over. I'm in a corner. I'm literally in a corner, and he came over behind me, and I'm like, "There's nothing here. I'm in the corner." And he's pointing, and he's like, "Can I use that outlet?" And I'm like, "Dude, I'm live right now." <laughs> so I let him plug it in. <clears throat> but anyways, he doesn't know who you are, or maybe he does. But long story short, we're happy to have you on here. Um, is there anything that we missed that you uh, feel like is worth talking about? There's a lot, but I mean, anything that is like pressing that you're like, I want to let people know before we let you go. Um, well, I was just going to tell you that next time you're at an airport, that's the perfect opportunity to just wear a disc golf shirt, not that Puma shirt, you know? Bingo. Hey, look at my hat. Look at my hat. Hold on. Let me that see. is Statman, yeah, though. It needs a, okay, oh, okay, here's my thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's wrong with that hat? It's got to say <laughs> disc know. golf. Nothing's wrong with it. Nothing's wrong with it. I'm kidding. I'm just saying, no if we're trying to show this golf and start the conversation, it needs to have a basket. Like, yeah, I don't care if yeah. it's Innova. I don't care if it's Stat Mando. I don't, you know, not I don't care. Alyssa gets mad. Usually. I don't mean usually, it, I don't care. I know. <laughs> I know what you mean. But and I think our audience does. So that are like oh is that disc golf or you know what i usually wear what i usually wear is actually disc golf pro tour back when i was doing some media for them i have shirts and yeah, it usually yeah. it's really big disc golf pro tour or on the shoulder but like disc golf yeah. pro tour and people have asked and it is it's pretty cool they're like where are you going what are you doing i'm like yeah i like disc golf <laughs> yeah that's cool but, that's cool <clears throat> and you always even if you don't know somebody or if they don't play it's like oh yeah my sister my sister's mm-hmm. boyfriend so it's exactly. it's always a fun conversation starter. That's the only thing I don't got. Well, I don't have anything else. You don't even have to wear disc golf page. I'm sure people recognize you all the time. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot more often than it used to be, for sure. That's so cool. That's yeah. Very cool. That's awesome to see. Well, we are totally glad to have you. We appreciate your time so much coming on. We always know it's a privilege for us to have you, and it was a great interview. So thanks for your time on that. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you so much, Paige. All right. Best of luck to you and congratulations once again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. All right. We look forward to Paige rejoining the tour uh, Mm -hmm. when it happens. Um, Oh, Ben, you missed the outro music. Oh, um, um, (laughs) which is like booted her. No. Okay. Okay. I'm hearing quite a commotion. Yeah, it's loud. Do we have Gannon and yeah, we Matt got, there? Yeah, we got whole Matt. Crew? Hey, yep. guys. Stay back. Matt and Is Gannon. he ready? Thumbs up. Matt, you ready? Oh, he's right. ready. Okay, he's ready. ready. <laughs> All right, let's bring him in. Bring, Give him the music. Uh-oh, I hear... Did I hear the robot voice? Yeah, you might have the robot Keep voice, it. Ben. Oh, my bad, my bad. I'll Hold on one Just second, Ben. So, no, let's try it out. Welcome, Matt, to nope. the show. Uh, we can see you. Can we hear you? Hey guys, Matt here. <laughs> that is so cool. I wanted that so bad. You Tonight we had right. talked about having Matt start the yeah. show with Nick if I was on a plane yeah. so he could be the Nick and Matt show. So let's go full screen on go full screen on Matt for a second. Let's see where he's at. I think he's in his disc golf store. For those of you who don't know, Matt, you can tell us about it. You run a disc golf store and it's pretty big. Yeah, called so, Titan Disc Golf. Yeah, I have two disc golf stores actually. One here in Des Moines, Iowa and one in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and they are both called Titan Disc Golf. Very wow. cool. Okay, so t- Titan Disc Golf, but most people in the world of disc golf recognize you for walking with Gannon, often carrying his bag. 
I'm sure locally you're more known just as the guy who has a cool disc golf store. Yeah, there you go, the eye. So let's jump right into that. Where did that come from? Is that something you grew up doing or you just had a moment where you said, oh, that's funny. People talked about it and you kept doing it when you stare into the camera. So the eye started with Gannon and I at the open at Austin. We were just staring at the camera right before he went to go tee off. And we kind of <laughs> joked about it doing it all round long. And so I like I couldn't actually tell if I was on camera or not, but I just thought it was funny to continue to do. And while like we were on live coverage, my friends were texting me. They're like, this is hilarious. You just you gotta keep staring at the camera. You gotta you gotta do more than just staring at the camera. You gotta like start eating a granola bar or something like that. And so it just it was just kind of funny and it was just kind of something that we kept continuing. And then I always thought it was kind of weird to like not look into a camera, especially like when it's like right in your face. So so one of the things like when you're caddying or you know you're with one of the players on lead card is they have this reaction cam mm -hmm. and they kind of shove the reaction cam like just like right in your face like it's mm -hmm. i mean it's it's within a couple feet of your face and it, it's it's it kind of feels weird to me to kind of just ignore the camera and so i'm just like just like looking at you know because you, you grow up you're taught to look into the camera and smile mm -hmm. and whatnot and mm -hmm. it's, it's it feels more natural to look into a camera to me than it does to like just pretend that someone's not two feet from your face mm -hmm. okay well let's go back to uh mid-season somewhere des moines is where you're from the des moines um sorry about this intercom but the des moines it's called challenge right i'm forgetting a lot yes the des moines, des moines challenge, challenge. Okay. the true bank des moines challenge yeah thank you and i remember there was somewhat of a commotion and i think you made a social media post of like guys i was asked to stop so you don't have to name names unless you want to but the pro tour at some level said like hey don't do that on our coverage is that correct yeah so so the it wasn't specifically the pro tour okay. had come okay. to me and say something uh the the uh the guy running the show i guess i won't name his name but it's it's pretty obvious uh we're, we're pretty good friends and he had come up to me and and asked me to stop and he was like look i uh, i've been asked to ask you to stop and you know if you keep doing it or you know I, I might have to ask you to leave uh so so you know i i decided to play ball and um you know i i, I know it's not about me no one's there to, to watch me stare at the camera but uh yeah no I, I just thought it was funny but i did think it was kind of weird uh to have somebody tell me where i could and couldn't look yeah right you know so it was it was like well if you you don't want me staring at the camera don't put the camera on me it's kind of my Simple feelings on it yeah yeah and 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 i'm not i'm not gonna put words in gannon's mouth here we don't we don't love to put words in the mouths of pros but like if he was like, dude, this is the guy that I want with me and it's part of my brand. Let's just say he went that far and he's like, I like it. I don't know. I make an argument that the pro tour would have to kind of swallow it or whoever it was, right? DGN and be like, hey, you know, it's just what happens when Gannon makes it on there. But there's probably all different perspectives on that. Uh, so moving on to that, you have two shops. You started with one. I think I saw recently you expanded. Is that because of the disc golf boom? You were able to get much bigger or was it the Gannon's caddy effect? Like what happened? <laughs> Oh, well, the, I, I actually expanded to Des Moines before I really knew Gannon. 
okay. uh, I, I always felt like Des Moines was this kind of disc golf mecca, but it never had a disc golf store. So when I first uh, took over the Cedar Rapids store, my eyes were always on Des Moines. So I always wanted to expand to Des Moines. And then I had a much smaller store here in Des Moines. It's the same location, but uh, it, it's kind of in this little strip mall. And the place next door became available uh, to, to take over. So we expanded. We nearly tripled our size here at this Des Moines store. And, and we really needed it. The, the old uh, smaller side was just, was just not big enough to, to handle what we needed. And how's that been? Just talk so to wait, us. Just where, where did, oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, where did you start? Just as a follow-up or a conclusion to that. You said you expanded to Des Moines. Was Cedar Rapids your first? Yes. Yeah, so Cedar Rapids was okay. the first location. There, It okay. was actually a store before I owned it. The The original owners wanted to get out of owning a disc golf store, and they had reached out to me uh, to see if I was interested. And, and so uh, that was something I was pretty interested in. And I had reached out to uh, my my current business partner uh, to see if he wanted to go in on it as well. And, and so he runs the Cedar Rapids store and, and I, and I run the Des Moines location here. Cool. Now I've, Sorry, never been, I've never been to Iowa before. What's the kind of distance between the two? It's about two hours between our two okay. stores. Gotcha. Is that you're living out in the Des Moines area now? That's where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to us just a little bit about the ins and outs of being a small business owner in the disc golf world with pro shops and kind of being able to see the expansion happen, going to a disc golf mecca area. How has that been? You've tripled in size, you said, at the Des Moines location. Just how how has it been owning a disc golf retail shop? Yeah, it's been great. You know, I, I was a player long before I was a disc golf shop owner. Mm -hmm. I played for five or six years and travel. I was almost like a touring amateur and, and I always felt like there was definitely an advantage to being able to touch and feel a disc uh, before you buy it. And sure, you could buy discs online, but really being able to go in, touch and feel the disc. And, you know, sure, it might, it might cost a couple bucks more than something you might pay online. But being able to get the exact disc you want um, was 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 a huge advantage. And, and knowing that, like, like I said, there wasn't a store in Des Moines. Uh, I felt like there was a big opportunity for that because I didn't, I didn't originally grow up in Des Moines. So, uh, as seeing Des Moines from afar, I always saw Des Moines as the shining beacon of disc golf, like the Des Moines challenge was the, the great A tier. And, uh, and it just surprised me that there wasn't a store in this location. So it was something that I always knew I wanted to, to grow here. Well, you are pretty good at disc golf. Uh, I was supposed to be in your store tonight doing this with you in your store. And then tomorrow, I think we have plans of watching Matt get humiliated, maybe by <laughs> Gavin, by Gannon, and maybe yourself as well. You can all just show me how to play disc golf. But that's the plan. We're going to hang out tomorrow. Um, and then, teaser alert, I'm going to be coming back to town Thursday evening. And I think you have something special. Tell us a little bit about, you don't have to talk about what we're going to do on Thursday, but like tell everybody about your little gig that you do when you come online uh, every now and then. What's it called and, and where did it come from? So so I have my own podcast per se called the uh, called Steak Battle. And it's really where we just, I grill three different steaks with, or three steaks with three different steak seasonings. And we kind of determine which steak seasoning that we like the best. And in between trying out each steak, we will, 
I'll just ask some questions to kind of just fill the air. So it, it originated with, I just had a friend over. I have this one steak seasoning that I really like called the ultimate steak and roast rub. And I, I've been eating it for years. And I was always just curious if other people felt the same way that I did about this steak seasoning. Mm -hmm. So I would, it started out with inviting my friends and family over and, and we would just test out these steak seasonings. Uh, I, I kind of got the idea of a mix between some of like Guga foods and hot ones. Uh, and mm -hmm. so we would, we would try out these different steak seasonings. And I found that there was only so many words you could do, could use to describe a steak seasoning. Like mm -hmm. it's like salty <laughs> or savory or whatever. So it didn't make for very good entertainment or, uh, you know, so, so I just decided, oh, all right, well, I'm just going to start asking disc golf questions in between each stake to just kind of get a feeling of that. So it, it started out with just local uh, players and then it, it kind of just expanded onto, you know, maybe some of the local touring players. And then uh, uh, probably my, my biggest grab at the time, I, I was pretty good friends with Bob Julia, the team discraft team manager. And I'd reached out to him to see if he wanted on. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to be on. He's like, uh, do you care if I bring Paul Macbeth with me? I'm like, absolutely. You know, it was like kind of a dream come true. And, and, and I, and I kind of felt like that was uh, a catalyst into getting more and more uh, touring pros on and, and who doesn't like, you know, free steak and, and uh, so, so that's kind of what it's become now. And so now this is, this is, I think the fifth year. I've been doing this, uh, which, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. It feels like I just started, uh, you know, last year kind of thing, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And especially now that we have the Des Moines challenge, you know, the pro tour coming through town, I'm able to reach out to all of the different pros and, and pack my schedule and, and get them on. Yeah, what has been absolutely. over the five years of doing it? I mean, I, I love steak. Absolutely love it. I'm a horrible cook, <laughs> chef, whatever you want to call it, but I can, cook an okay steak every so often it's the one thing that i've actually practiced to get better at because i absolutely love eating steak but like what is your favorite type of steak and seasoning wise to eat i i mean ribeyes are the mm -hmm. king of steaks mm -hmm. you, you can't go wrong with a ribeye uh it's it's got that real nice uh fatty juicy end around the outside mm -hmm. and then the inside uh is is a little bit more tender um with a little less fat, but, uh, so ribeyes are definitely the way to go. Something I've just learned through cooking steaks is you really just have to cook everything to temperature. Mm -hmm. So I always have a, a, uh, thermometer, like, uh, one of those instant re actually, I have it here in my pocket. Thermometer. Uh, I actually, I, I had Gannon and his mom over tonight and, uh, they're still here at the shop and well, I, grill, bring, I grilled them some in. steak. Michelle. Yeah, if they want to. Let's go. Yeah, Michelle. 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 Yeah. Um, you're, you're, so you're, you they, guys are getting called in. They won't be able to hear because you got the headphones on. We can either pass it along or you could probably unplug the headphones. But your ultimate steak and roast rub or whatever it was it was called, I actually bought it because I watched one of your um, steak battles. So. Oh, uh, Ben, you might have to turn that oh, echo cancellation yeah. back on. <laughs> So oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I can I can put the microphone or the headphones back. In. Yeah, or just uh, or just turn it down a little bit. No, yeah, or just turn it down a little bit. Yep. Can you hear us? We're Gannon? gonna switch me out for Gannon here. Oh, he plugged it back. Uh, in. Yeah, he plugged it back in. We can see what it's like unplugged. 
So in two minutes, I have to go, and you guys can be grateful for that. But uh, let me just. Yeah, first question: oh. Where's Michelle? <laughs> Gannon, can, can you, you hear us? Gannon? She's over here. Hi, Michelle. Oh, she's over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell her. Tell her we all say hi. Oh, uh, they say hi. Nice. Gannon, they, they want you on Michelle. Come on, yes, Gannon. Michelle. Oh. <laughs> she can't hear. Us. Yeah, she can't hear it. <laughs> so, Gannon. Uncle Matt is coming, and uh, Uncle Matt is coming, and Aunt and Aunt Stephanie made you cookies. We're gonna try to unplug it. We're gonna try to. Does that work? Can you hear? Hello, hello. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, you hear us? Okay, all right, perfect. So, yep, we can hear you. It's a little. I think your speaker might be a little loud because it's coming back through the mic a little bit. If you just turn it down a hair, we might be better. But Uncle Matt is coming, Gannon. Uncle Matt and Aunt Stephanie made cookies and they're in my carry-on right now i'm coming you just wait oh, okay. can't wait. yeah they're um, my... dude i saw some of your baking videos they look phenomenal they were uh <laughs> they were my, my favorite cookies i've ever had i think well they're on the way it's like a dozen of them or something so i am All right, incredibly jealous um also 10 seconds <laughs> also i'll go out of my way to say this is the best and best you've ever sounded or looked on our show so by far I, I don't have a good history of of looking or sounding good on this show because I'm and always I'm always in the middle of like Texas or something with the, the worst the worst internet ever driving down hills and with so, all of them. Yeah. And so last week, my last thing because I got to get in line and catch my plane. I shouldn't even be here in the first place. But we thought last week we were looking at the fandom survey. Have you seen that yet? The fandom survey. Yeah. Okay. We said. Because we can actually look at listeners of the Nick and Matt show, how they voted for players. That's something we have access to. And we said, or Nick said last week, he's like, I think Gannon probably rates worse for Nick and Matt show listeners because he always has a bad connection. And we looked it up and you actually have a higher rating from Nick and Matt show listeners than you do from the rest of the survey. So there you go. I'm I'm not surprised by that. I think (laughs) I, because I I know I, I like rated pretty low on that. And I can definitely see it. Um, I think you have to, I mean, it kind of, for everybody, you kind of have to know the player a little bit more. Uh, you know, of the of the Pro yeah. Tour players, I got voted most funny, which yes, is pretty cool. That. So, um, but yeah, um, here we go. Here's the stare. The stare. <laughs> the it's coming stare. In. Um, um, Alden called me out. He goes, don't bring me into this, Nick Carl. <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, me and Alden having the, the number one bromance on tour. Yeah. That was also a, yeah, a con- highlight. Congratulations to that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, big deal for us. Yeah. Yeah, let me jump into this. How does Isaac feel about it that both of his pairings were like dead last just about, at least on their pie chart? Is he jealous? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's always jealous. He's always mad about that kind of stuff. It was, we found it pretty funny that... Like, I think two people put, uh, like me and Isaac, and then Alden and Isaac as their, as their own bromance, which was pretty funny. I think, <laughs> I think second place was uh, Chandler and Robert Burridge, which is pretty funny because yeah. yeah. that's kind of like the ongoing joke on tour um, that they're the number one bromance. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm we're we're happy to take down this win. It's, it's big for our career. Let's yeah. go, big time. Hopefully, some bonus structure with Prodigy in that. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways, Matt, are you? I, yeah, I feel like the sarcasm that Gannon can bring is so incredible. He just it's it's acting, and so maybe it's not sarcasm. It's a little bit of both. But just like saying things like that, yeah. that's become like that's become like trademark for for him. Like this has been really pivotal and crucial in my career, and I could see him saying that straight up in a DGN press conference. 
Exactly. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Low key All right, Matt. super hilarious. Like he he's witty and he's just like quick to roast things. <laughs> but he's just he's just low key, just one of the funniest people I know. There you go. Stephanie, I mean uh Gannon. Steph- I said to Stephanie before I left. Before I left, I said, Are you making the cookies? I said, if you don't make the cookies, I said and I acted out, I said, he's gonna go like this, bruh. You didn't bring the bruh. <laughs> bruh. And Stephanie just smiled and she's like, I can totally see that. So we appreciated having you stay with us. It was a pleasure for us. Hopefully we made your life easier. I'm gonna get yeah. on this plane. They're gonna let, they're gonna take away the rest of the show. You guys can hang out, but I got a jet. All right. All right. See you later, man. See you soon. Peace out. Peace out. Do 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 do. I feel weird um, having to like look at. We have yeah. the we have the nice camera like up oh, here. Oh wait, but the, yeah. The laptop wrong, low. wrong goes out. Whoops. Yeah, I was gonna. Oh, the yeah. camera, the camera quality is probably in the top five. Camera and microphone quality are probably in the top five for guests that we've had. So shout out to Matt for that one. Uh, it's so always I was appreciated. Trying to impress Matt Graham here because he was supposed to be yeah. here doing the show. Yep. And so I went out and bought a brand new microphone. No, did I, you really? I have a DSLR camera just for yep. my steak battles. Yep. And I was trying to get this super sick podcast set up so he would look professional while he's here. Wow. And unfortunately I didn't get a didn't get to do that with him here. Unfortunately, you look very professional. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start our own podcast pretty so, here pretty soon here. So we sure exactly. appreciate the setup you have. <laughs> so we're gonna take Gannon. over the Nick and Matt show at the same time on what Tuesday nights. <laughs> Tuesday <laughs> nights. Wait, what? Today's Monday, <laughs> Gannon. I don't. Well, hey, I'm not in school anymore, so I don't have to take <laughs> that. Get out of school and forget the days of the week. I totally that, hear that's, you there. at work. I'll go. I'll yeah. be like, hey, "Why are there kids at recess? Like, that's crazy. That must, that must be awful." And I'm happy I'm out. Yeah. No, well, good for you on that. So, again, we were talking about earlier, actually, um, touring pros, whether it's going from van life or Airbnbs, flying everywhere. Um, we have seen a lot of pros starting to sell their vehicles. They're going to the more Airbnb lifestyle. What is kind of your touring plans for next year? Yeah, me and the boys are going to do, uh, and the boys, I mean me, Alden, Gavin and Isaac, uh, and then potentially Silas and a, maybe a couple other people We're we're kind of still trying to figure out what the exact plan is, but we know for a fact, we're definitely doing Airbnbs next year. Um, so we're going to, it'll be a lot easier to eat better food, uh, get better sleep. I feel like, um, I've always kind of been fine because I've always kind of done hotel rooms or mm-hmm. uh, staying at people's houses and stuff. But the, the other boys uh, may, uh, mostly stayed in their vans and they mm-hmm. always were cramped and uh, you didn't have air conditioning. You had to go to a gym to go shower and stuff like that. And kind of just those like little things that I guess I usually don't even think of. They had to kind of deal with the entire, mm-hmm. you know, last year, last two years. So they're all looking forward to, you know, living in, you know, houses week to week. So that should be really exciting for all of us. And, you know, we can hook up, uh, you know, the PlayStation to the TV and play some games and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a really fun, really fun year. And um, yeah, we're going to hopefully, hopefully hit a lot of those A tiers in between the weekends as well. I know, I know where they're, the Pro Tour is trying to uh, finish up. I think they're called like Disc Golf Pro Tour qualifying events or something like that. They're basically like the Silver Series replacements. Mm-hmm. And so those are going to be kind of in between the weekends of the the big pro tours but you know we're trying to maybe even hit like the memorial uh we'd we'd fly out of like louisiana and go play the memorial it's it's right before waco and so mm-hmm. we just kind of go out there i know ricky lives out there so we'd we'd stay with him and that'd be we're looking looking forward to that hopefully very cool what has been the off se- or what has the off season been like since you've been home yeah it's it was actually really nice out for the first 
don't know, three three weeks of the off season, and these last couple of weeks we just got snow. I think yesterday or two days ago, mm-hmm. and that pretty much is. I mean, we're I think we have a couple of nice days here that will melt it, but typically how it works is you get a snow. I'm sure pretty much same thing up in Massachusetts. You mm-hmm. get snow and then it lasts the entire the entire winter, yeah. pretty much up until like February or March. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been trying to uh, eat a little better. It's a lot easier when you know you're home and mm-hmm. my mom can cook me good food <laughs> and um yeah and uh, work out a little bit as well so I've, I've kind of started to work out a little bit i've already put on five pounds Let's hopefully it's go. Muscle, nice. but how many push-ups yeah, can you do yeah. now <laughs> what i said how many push-ups can you do now oh i can i can do five nice all right yeah I think I, that's I, five like, even like last time <laughs> last year the beginning of this year i can only do one yeah and so no i'm sorry not even one so mm. We're, we're making progress. I've never been, never been a push-up guy. <laughs> yep. How um are are you hiring a personal trainer, or are you kind of going just along with it? Uh, so right now I'm kind of doing my own stuff uh, in terms of working out, and it's I'm trying to make it disc golf based as well. And so, uh, you know, unlike other sports like basketball, football, you're you know you're kind of I feel like working more on an up and down type like movement. Uh, stability and explosiveness where disc golf it's more of a twisting explosiveness so i've been trying to and and kind of you know left to right side to side when you're you know doing a run up on the t-pad so i'm kind of trying to get that figured out Mm -hmm. and so i've been doing some workouts that are really helping my explosiveness and i'm already throwing a little bit further i feel like uh obviously i've probably worked on my legs the most because those are probably the skinniest part of my body Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I've already seen a little bit of progress on that too, which is nice. And I'm just trying to stay consistent the entire off season, you know, and try not to take too many days off, maybe five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but then here soon, I'm going to be working with uh, Josh, Josh Wintz, who is uh, up in Minnesota, and he's going to help me uh, kind of get like a workout plan going. And then also Seth Muncy has uh, some workouts for the Pro Tour players that mm-hmm. I know Gavin Babcock is already starting. He's enjoying that. Very cool. Evan, uh, since Matt's not here, we we get to ask some questions, you know. Um, yeah, right. So I'm gonna keep rolling with it. But Evan, Ben, whenever you guys want, just jump on in. Go I ahead got one right now. So you it. mentioned mentioned snow in Iowa. Is there any plans to uh, get out of Iowa until you have to uh, head to Florida? Like take a weekend in Florida, take he- a weekend head to Chili's house. Florida? Yeah, I, I want to go down to Ricky's house for the Shelley Sharp Memorial, which is in I think like the third week of January, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, that'll be that'll be real exciting. Um, the you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, uh, that'll be. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Uh, my stomach's rumbling. <laughs> make, make up some steak. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, my dad lives in Florida as well, so I'm gonna gonna hopefully go down there for a couple weeks before the Florida Open. Mm-hmm. Um and all-stars because he's probably only an hour and a half from each of those tournaments and so i'll be able to get you know a couple weeks of practice in before there i remember like this year in vegas i had a really hard time dialing in like my 250 to 300 foot approach shots with my a2 and i think it was because i didn't throw outside the entire offseason because it was so cold yeah and so i was i was throwing a lot of just into a net and i lost all my distance control and like my my touch i guess and so that took a little bit to build up. So the the goal is to um, kind of use those like two or three weeks before the tour starts, kind of shake off that rust and hopefully get a real start, uh, strong start to the season. I know I have never really started that strong 
on the pro tour in the beginning of the year, even though I felt like I put a decent amount of work in the offseason. I think it was just because I, I couldn't play courses and I couldn't play them, you know, effectively and and have it actually really help my game because it's been so cold. You have so many layers on stuff like that. Yeah. You know, your, your release is not the same when it's so cold outside and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, starting off the year really strong. Um, the goal is definitely next year going to be just to try to be in contention more. That was one thing I lacked this year. I felt like I, the tournaments that I wore as it was in contention, I, you know, did pretty good about winning them, but I'd like to be, you know, in contention more around that 10 times instead of this year, it was kind of closer to five. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to overthrow on this one, but off season projects outside of physical conditioning, anything that you're doing outside of disc golf during the off season? Uh, yeah. For like the last like week and the next like five days, uh, the Fortnite brought back the old map, and so yes. I've, been, I've been playing every day. <laughs> I have, I have too. I've, yeah. I've been playing every day. <laughs> I have to like, yeah, I play with Alden, Gavin, uh, Ty Tanat, who runs the Des Moines Challenge. We played mm -hmm. quite a bit as well, um, and so. Uh, you know, my mom's gonna scare. I'm gonna get addicted to Fortnite, but you know, I, th I think once the new map comes in, I probably won't I was gonna be say, playing you only anymore. Got but four more days, and I think 17 yeah. more hours. Yeah. And if it's over, yeah, yeah five but, days, pretty much. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm gonna go back home and play some more. Cause are you, are you a no what? build or a build? Do you play build? I play build. No, just because no. build build no. is for real gamer. Yeah, build yeah, is for. I'm no build all the way. That's soft. Well, the, the issue with me is yeah, my aim is just Call not. Well, I play on PS4, so my aim is just like, and I've like, I like, I've never really played gun games before. I played like Fortnite Mobile when it first came out, <laughs> um, which that's way different, obviously. But uh, for me, in my opinion, on console like PS4, Xbox, it's a lot harder to control where you're aiming just because it's on a joystick instead of a mouse. Yeah, you um, get you get aim assist. It's a little easier. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah, not you that. Do. Not not good aim assist. I don't know if there's a setting I need to turn on or something. But <laughs> Maybe I've been missing all my. You gotta get those so. cheats, bro. Get, go yeah. go on the black market. Come on now. Yeah, but I'm I'm averaging like you know seven eight kills a game. All the lobbies are full of bots. <laughs> well, listen, listen. They're getting better. They have gotten better. I, I I've definitely told uh, told them worse. Yeah. Where are you landing? Are you a guy who's going for a firefight like the instant you land? Are you trying to get a little secluded in a? get up those uh like are we like dropping tilted towers um i don't drop tilted that much i i, I have a i have a couple go-to spots um just because but then there's also spots i'll go because i want like yeah, high man. kills so you know salty springs Sal if it's on the map is one a, of the best a, yeah salty really I'm good risky reels uh, type of guy I, I go I go risky a lot if i want to win the game because it has decent loot and then no one no one really lands exactly. there especially with the buck Yep, uh, Gavin put me on Haunted Hills, which I hated on a lot until I realized how much how many chests were there. Well, Haunted's and good because got the one chest. If you want to win the game, yeah. if you want to yeah. win the game, you go there. But uh, I like Greasy Grove is another one. Salty Springs, uh, mm -hmm. retail is really good. Retail Row, if you want to kind of get like that medium action, not too yeah. crazy, but you still can get some high kills. Um, Pleasant Pack. Yeah, those are probably my probably my main spots. Man, nice. talk about throwback. I haven't played Fortnite since like it was like the original map times like two changes. Mm -hmm. And that was a trip down memory lane to that's like five years ago now. That but, yeah, 2017. Yeah. 2017. Daniel was only wow. uh, 10. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was in like first grade, I think. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit of disc golf. Uh, season for the 2024 Disc Golf Pro Tour Champions Cup has moved what feels like 10 different times now. What do you think of it? I think it's finally moved to April at Northwoods Black, correct? Or Northwood yes. Black? 
Is yeah, it woods singular. or wood? I think it's technically it's North Wood, but North I, I've always said North Woods. And it's not, it's only black, I think, for the MPO. They're trying to say Northwood Park is oh, my okay. understanding. All right. just, to, just to be clear. Gotcha, not gotcha. that it's wrong. Northwood, Northwood Park. Park. Moving there in April. Black is wrong. Uh, I think that's the best date they could figure out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're kind of like a survey on our, our, pro, our pro tour page on, on whether we wanted to like kind of end season or mid season. And, um, I think mean, I think it was actually pretty close, but I feel like a majority of the people wanted it toward the midseason just because of how heavy weighted the back end of the tour is, which I'm definitely not a fan of because it it kind of like kind of like that offseason rust I've been talking about is like, you know, it gives t- players time to shake that off. And in my opinion, I feel like you should be rewarded for how, you know, how hard you train in the offseason. Um, and so, you know, we, we only have like one event that's bigger than a pro tour, maybe two until like. The, the second half of the season and so it's a lot of just those i mean they're still really big wins but they're they're not majors elite plus playoffs you know they're, they're nothing you know they're none of that so um i was happy to see a big tournament really early in the season that way we can you know kind of get a more of an accurate representation of who's kind of hot during the beginning of the year and then mm-hmm. you know if you do end up getting hot toward the end of the season then you can you know also uh also do that as well course wise though oh go ahead evan I was just going to say, like, so we heard the Elite Plus at Waco being announced. Do you consider that being a big event to kind of be in the early season? Or is you and maybe the player's mind that that more aligns with just a normal Pro Tour event? Like, where, what are your feelings on that classification? Yeah, I think that I think I'm looking forward to I'm definitely looking forward to that tournament. Um, it's in my opinion, it's hard to call Waco a like a big tournament. I think it's about as small as you can get in terms of just kind of the way the the tournament feels and the course feels. It kind of, I guess, I guess in my opinion, it's a pretty forgettable tournament. Um, which I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of pro tours out there that are, um, but that's that's probably you know one of like four or five I think of that are pretty forgettable that no one no one pays too much attention to. But I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it because I know we're I think we're going to be playing on, on a golf course as well for two of the rounds, mm-hmm. and so I think that'll have a good mix of the woods and the open. I've never had a problem with the the you know the, the course at Waco um it's really short and it's really wooded which is really fun to play um it's it's I almost would think Waco is probably my favorite course to play um maybe if I was just going out for fun because you don't have to throw that hard mm-hmm. and you can kind of lay lay some shots in the woods it's really it's, a, it's just a good feel it kind of feels like a local course but still pretty difficult which is nice um definitely on the easier side for the pro tour but uh yeah that golf course hopefully it's going to be pretty difficult to kind of match the the little easier side of the the beast and um yeah i'm, I'm hoping it's going to be a fun event maybe maybe it'll be one of those that you know becomes more prestigious as time goes on mm-hmm. i will I, i'm curious now one i want to say I, I like waco i'm excited to see it being an elite plus uh and it's a great tournament nick i'm sure you have uh fond memories of at least I've one al- round there. always loved waco the only thing i wish about waco is i wish we played it in a little bit warmer weather that's about it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Gannon, I'm curious. Uh, this is kind of an open-ended question, but out of all the non-majors on tour, of the ones you haven't won, which one would you want to get a win at the most? Um, I think Portland Open is a super cool one to win. That that Portland is just well one one of one. It's like one of my favorite courses, especially the East Course we played. We've been playing in the last couple of years. That's I think one of my favorite courses we play on tour. Um, 
I think, I mean, the crowds are really big there as well. So it's kind of just like a, a, a sick tournament to win. Uh, Ledgestone is another one where it's just like, dude, you got to play really, really good golf to win that tournament. Uh, I mean, with Cole winning by like five strokes this, this year was, I think, you know, I put that in my the top two performances of the year in terms of just like getting to almost 40 under par at those courses is ridiculous. That's crazy good. And um, so that th those two for sure. Um Trying to think of other ones. Um, I can't really think of too many. I mean, OTB is a good one as well. OTB is one of my favorite courses too. Really, really, uh, really open, but doesn't have a golf course feel at all, in my opinion. There's a couple holes you throw, might throw a roller on, but it really does feel like a disc golf course, and it it really suits my game pretty well too. So, um, you know, I I always look forward to OTB. Yeah, um, kind of along those lines, Gannon. Um, what is like your favorite, not even course, just like location amenities wise where, you know, I guess surrounding town, maybe airport or just, you know, all around just like taco truck. <laughs> yeah, sure. Stuff like that. <laughs> and do you think the pro tour should start? I'm kind of based off of Simon's polls, but do you think the pro tour should start doing better courses or better locations for like amenities and spectators and like you know so a lot of people whereas opposed to going to peoria, peoria illinois maybe you go to chicago illinois what are your thoughts as yeah as much as i would want to say to have better courses i think for disc golf itself and you know if you do make those lead cards and chase cards it's really fun to have a lot of spectators and so i think getting in disc golf in big cities for disc golf would be really huge as well um once one tournament I forgot was the Green Mountain Championships. I think that might be my favorite tournament we play all year, and that's mm -hmm. why like I wanted to win Worlds so bad this year is because the courses really suit my game really well. Uh, this year I just didn't putt good, and that's why I didn't win pretty much. That was about the only thing that stopped me from winning. Um, but you know, the property up there is is beautiful when you have the the mix of the open and the woods. Um, the other thing is, I mean, the courses are a hundred feet from each other. It doesn't look like it on camera, but when you get there in person and, and you can kind of, you get to the property and you can play whatever course you want and it's right there in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, just such a great mix of, of, a variety of holes as well, different shot shapes. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you have those kind of water holes, you know, we had like a water hole we went to pretty much after every round at worlds. It was so fun to go to, um, I mean, the landscape, just the land is a lot different. You kind of feel like you're more in the country, which I prefer. I, do, I definitely don't like the cities as much as I do kind of being out out in nature. That was really fun. And, um, you know, you can kind of find those kind of hometown restaurants as well. There's a lot of those really, really good kind of local restaurants that you can find in those smaller towns. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Agreed. GMC has always yeah, been one of my favorite places. I think I've said it about a thousand times on the podcast now, but Fox Run being my favorite course of all time, and then Bruce Ridge just being another immaculate course. But like Ann saying, just the atmosphere up there, especially at Worlds this year, was absolutely incredible. Um, but while we're talking about it and these courses that you guys are playing for the tour, we've listed a couple courses that are tournaments that have multiple courses used during their tournament. Ledgestone, GMC, Portland Open, Waco is about to have two courses now. Do you like that going to these big tournaments, or would you rather see just the best of both courses, just one good course? I Well, it's kind of weird because I think i play better if we just play one course, but mm -hmm. I prefer two courses because I think it challenges a player more, um, and I, I really like that. Also, I believe Ledgestone is only going to be one course next year due to yeah, the Champions Cup. Yep. Yeah. Which Really? I, 
which I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. I, I, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, that whole thing that you can't have. I mean, it makes sense, but, you know, like, if we could have had GMC and Worlds this year, like, that would have been a dream come true uh-huh. uh, if we somehow could have played it twice. Um, I mean, but I also, having Worlds somewhere else, too, that isn't already on tour. So, you know, in Utah, which we don't we don't play for tour, uh, next year in Virginia is, will be cool because we don't play it for tour. So it's kind of, a, you know, adds that, that kind of feel of like, oh, I get to play a new course and learn something new. That's always really fun. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, yeah, stuff about Ledgestone. I didn't know if they were going to make an MPO layout over at Sunset and then make an FBO layout over at Eureka. But yeah, I don't think Sunset has enough enough land for an MPO layout. I mean, it might, yeah. but the course is generally. I mean, it's a really good. It's a really really good FPO. I've heard course. it's a phenomenal I mean, FPO course. I think yeah. Schleybach. That's your highest rated round, right? It was my highest rated round. I, I yeah. shot almost ten at you at Sunset, and I was really upset because the mp 40s played there the day before and the guy a guy shot a stroke worse than me and shot five points higher rated so i was hoping to get a 1050 rated round and there i think i shot like 10 or 12 down at sunset it was funny because i think i was in intermediate at the time because we were playing in the same division i was like dude he shot like he shot like 14 down or something or 12 down i was like he's pretty good actually yeah, th- this year was the first year that I didn't eagle the par five. They they tightened up the OB. Uh-huh. It's it's really a par four, but yeah, you know. yeah, it's definitely, it's <laughs> definitely a par four, even for like an intermediate player. Yeah, yeah, but it uh, uh, yeah, they tightened up the OB, and I I I didn't uh, pre-play the course. Ledgestone is actually the only course that I've played every single year. I've played as a disc golfer so the time you dnf how long ago was that well that was no, i still <laughs> play and i i technically dnf because i was i was caddying for kevin jones uh mm-hmm. that tournament and i wasn't playing well i admit i wasn't playing well but i i would rather have gone and caddied for kevin jones because i was having a lot more fun doing mm-hmm. that i i play tournaments because they're fun and if i'm not having fun i'd rather go do something more fun nope i hear you there Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So we'll talk about this because Simon's actually brought it up multiple times as having one of those tournaments where you do play a more par 54 to par 58 style of disc golf. And what if you were to build that for an MPO layout at sunset, make it just a birdie or die fest? Would that be as Gannon, as a top touring professional, would that be a fun tournament to play where you got to put 95% from circle one X, you got to put 50% from circle two, and you got to be putting the disc, you know, in circle one or circle two, every single shot. I don't hate it if it's done right. Mm-hmm. Um, How would one you of do my it right? Pe- uh, well, well, like making the holes like you could do it in a couple different ways. You can make them like shorter with a lot of OB or longer with not as much OB. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the with the land, you'd probably have to make them shorter with OB. But you know, I also like Mandos even in the woods. If if like that's I think like, I, I have a couple of disc golf pet peeves. Um, one of them is definitely. Um, you know, people in the woods, you have, you have almost, almost every single woods hole has its kind of a line that you're the intended line that you're trying to hit. And when people completely shank it and don't get punished that bad, that I don't like that at all, especially if the gap's like pretty early off the tee and pretty large, I almost feel like 
to make disc golf fair, we could add Mandos in the woods a lot more. Um, but definitely like at a more open course like that too, Mandos could help a lot, kind of create some really cool shot shapes, I believe. I mean, there's enough trees out there that you can do some fun stuff and the and the OB bunkers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other pet peeve I have on tour is holes being way too hard for too many holes in a row. Um, and so that's why I kind of like these little more gettable holes because in my mind, they're actually a little more fair. Um, now, you know, I, I there's a couple different things that you should be to, if you want to be a top pro. One of them is, you know, what Calvin's really good at is playing those super hard holes really well. He's really good at that. But then also is having the consistency to not miss those easier holes. And that's, you know, the pressure to get a hard hole is the same as the pressure to birdie a really easy hole. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm looking at course design and stuff like that, this is a big reason how I judge on if I like the course or not, um, is you, you take the spread of you have the birdie percentage and the bogey percentage, you add them together. And the goal is to get it, uh, I think, as close to 50% as possible. So you have the field all getting different different strokes. And so that's why, you know, Diglo, and still to this day is my least favorite course we play on the Pro Tour is because of the way it scores. Um, and the holes are almost like a little too hard in a way. The entire back nine is just like, 530 par three, 530 yeah. par three, no OB, no OB, 530 par three, 950 par four, not a ton of OB. And it's just like, it's really repetitive. And what happens is it brings in those players that aren't as good and it can kind of, you know, you have a 530 par three with even a, a tough line to reach the basket. The top pros most likely won't birdie and the pros that aren't even that good most likely won't birdie and when you don't have any ob it's it's just a par fest out there i mean i remember looking at the scores at, at d glow and it's just it's just white you look down the entire leaderboard it's just there's a section of the back nine and it's all just like white scores because everyone just takes a par on the holes it feels like mm-hmm. um and so yeah i mean yeah if you if you do it right if you make the course with good score separation but still fair i think i think disc golf should lean toward making courses slightly easier because if you look at if you think about it, they're just slightly more fair. There's definitely courses that are really hard that are still fair, but in majority in my mind, you know, a slightly easier course is a little more fair because you see the lines are a little bit cleaner, they're a little bit more open. As much as it, you know, sucks playing in the wide open, technically it's the most fair because nothing fluky can happen, you know. You don't have, you know, it's a little bit weird because you can technically kind of throw a bad shot but get away with it, but there is no there is no like really good luck in the open either you can't like you can't get super lucky in the open is i guess what i'm saying in the woods you can shank get lucky that's just the one fact i don't like do you feel like that though is because in the like in the woods you can see a shot get shanked and you know that hey that person shanked it in the wide open you're not necessarily hitting a line as perfect as you need to in the woods but at the same time you have so much more forgiveness on a wide open hole so you're not really almost worth like you guys aren't shanking wide open shots all that much compared to being in no. the woods but like yeah you I, obviously you don't notice it as much because you're on a wide open hole to where you do have a 400 foot landing zone or 200 foot landing zone even so i can yeah, kind of see it I, both I have, ways. I definitely like definitely played on open courses where i'm like oh dang that wasn't even close to where i wanted it to and then i parked the basket and so yeah. like like maybe like maybe i was going for like a let's just say it's like 400 feet away and i was going for like a you know, straight to hyzer shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to aim like 20 feet right of the basket. So just have it go up flat and then have it fade in. There's definitely been times where like I either do the opposite or I like shank it right, but it has more hyzer. So it still swings back left or 
maybe I throw it too straight, but like my body just like naturally puts it on Anheuser. So I technically missed the line I was going for, but I still parked it. Um, but in the same way though, you know, there was nothing like lucky about that, I guess as I'm saying. Yeah. I've just played too many wooded courses where um and obviously you can still hit your lines really good. Uh, Calvin's that's why he did, you know, got podium at pretty much every event is because he's good. He's good enough um, to do that. But then you have those situations where, you know, you can't have rounds where someone is shanking more than you are and you're, you're getting a lot worse results than them. No, I get uh, that. So, yeah, it, shout out Overthrow in the chat. chat. He asks, which courses do you feel like best embody that fairness that you are talking about? I guess let's keep it on tour unless it's like a common course that everyone else really knows. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the East course at Portland Open, uh, Pickard Park in Des Moines, uh, OTB as well is really good at that. Uh, Fox Run for GMC, I think, is one of the best ones at, at, at that. You know, there's really nothing too fluky that can happen. Sure, there's some rollaways you can do on the hills, but you can also play those hills a lot, a lot cleaner. That way, you don't get those rollaways. Um, so kind of those courses that have that kind of like medium amount of openness, it's like 75%, 80% open. Mm-hmm. And then you have a couple of trees you're trying to shape around. But usually, usually I'm a, I mean, I'm a big fan of a course that the landing zones are pretty small, but you can do whatever you want to get there. Um, obviously, there's a couple of times where you you want the course to kind of manufacture a shot. to It forces players to kind of step out of their comfort zone. But at the same time, I don't hate a course where they say, hey, this is the landing zone. Do whatever you want to get there. Usually they still make it a difficult shot. They're not just going to give you a wide open spike hyzer. And so um, I like that because, like I said, there's nothing fluky about that. If you land, that's why I like USDGC a lot. Any of those kind of open ball golf courses that have a lot of tight OB, I like it because it's just, hey, you have a landing zone, you got to hit it. That's why Isaac Robinson is even so good at those courses because he can throw 500 feet where he wants to on a dime almost every single time. That's why he excels at those kind of courses too. Mm -hmm. No, I get that. I think I just love seeing the way that the woods manufacture the shot. Like we're talking. About. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's just uh, as a viewer, especially it's a lot more enjoyable. I think also growing up playing woods courses, but it's a lot more enjoyable as a viewer watching the players. Uh, one hit early trees is actually kind of fun to watch because it's like, Hey, they are human. And then two, watching you guys throw that shot in the woods. That's just 10 times better than what the average professional is doing. You know, you're getting that extra 60, 70 feet of carry or your hyzer flips are that much better for you. I think you've said it in the past where you like kind of throwing more of a force over on a, you know, stable disc on an anhyzer through a tight gap. It makes you feel confident. I like being able to watch all of those kinds of shots. Evan? Yeah, I think like the woods just make it so you see the like magnitude of the like excellence of the shot so mm-hmm. much more when it gets shaped and like you like it's it's for the viewer you kind of get benchmarks as the this is in flight where like i i think golf coverage like ball golf they they hit the shot and me as not a big golf fan but sometimes i put it on it's they have the little ball tracker i have no clue if it's a good shot until it lands <laughs> um where in like disc golf that can happen on open courses i mean sometimes you can really tell but on wooded uh, holes you really get an idea of hey that's a good shot pretty early on and then you kept keep on seeing if it gets better and better and better and all these more benchmarks can pass before it's a great shot i think that's very cool and uh i think it's really important to keep in the sport mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely keeps you on your toes because, like, there's a lot of times in the woods where um, you, you know, I guess I'll say there's a lot of times in the open where, you know, 
there's not like that kind of stress or that pressure to throw. I mean, it can still be like a, a good shot. You can still be 480, 480 feet away and still park it. That's still a really good shot, but you weren't like nervous about it the whole time. There wasn't anything too specific about it. And that's why, yeah, the woods are really good if they're, if they're really fair wooded courses and that, you know, it makes you shape your shot really, really well. One more thing I don't like is when a, a wooded course either makes up for a hole being too short by adding more gimmicky trees in the middle mm-hmm. um, or having a wooded hole that doesn't fly like how a disc should fly. Um, you know, kind of having that maybe, you know, like a, it'd be it'd be like having a hole where you want like a, a disc to like get a late hyzer flip, but then it like immediately goes back left, but still like 450. Mm-hmm. And like a disc like just doesn't fly like that. I mean, that's not a great example. I'm trying to think of a whole. Well, but I was no, going to say, I, I, I feel like that's something that a lot of, of the OG players in our sport kind of designed local courses like that to where back in the day, discs flew different the way that they throw them. You know, the old leopards and DX stuff back in the day th- flew a lot differently than we have it. So they designed those courses like that. But discs nowadays and it, you can kind of just see where it's like a disc doesn't do that. And that's where amateur course design comes into play or professional course designing comes into play. Now, I, I totally feel that way as well. But I'm trying to like learn on what I don't like and really trying to look inward. And something I've like really come across to try to tell myself is if there's a shot like that, is it meant to have a birdie be a park shot? Or is it meant to be like, hey, 40 feet might be best case and then if you want to get a birdie, you got to make a 40 footer. Um, and you might get closer if you're lucky, but a really a good shot lands here and then it's on to putting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I found a, a good hole for an example. As I was saying, I think hole 14 at Brewster Ridge was like the worst hole we played the entire year almost. <laughs> um, oh, the long now, that one just they, a little bit. They changed it. I know Brewster Ridge. So 13 is yeah. the par four that a lot of people forehand and then 14 turned into it used to be a little dump hyzer. But now it's, it's kind of that kind of tightens up and then goes like an extra hundred feet in the woods. And then 14, they changed this year. Yes. 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 And then 14, yes. It's, and like, then 15. it's like 400 feet uphill. Okay. And, and the basket's like the basket's like 60 feet right of the last gap you have to get through. And you can't get a disc to turn mm-hmm. at the last 60 feet of the flight already going uphill 350 and there's a tree on the left off the tee pad so you can't swing it out left you have to throw it straight and i threw that hole perfect like every single time and the closest i got was like 50 feet Mm -hmm. and now i'm not a fan of that i think if you throw a perfect shot you should be you know parked or maybe 20 feet um now i do like holes where it forces you to play to a 35 40 footer obviously you know with my circle two percentage being really solid it it kind of fits my game really well Mm -hmm. Uh, i think isaac robinson is probably the best in the world at that is playing for a 30 footer and then making the putt so many times i've seen him play on tight ob courses where it's like okay the one thing you do is don't hang it out too far so you make sure you don't go b so he always like he always throws it perfect to where it never at one point in the flight had a chance to go OB, but it still lands just circles edge on the safe side. And I think that's a very important disc golf skill. And it's also a very important mental skill to have because it really shows if your disc golf IQ is high and playing your percentages as well to give yourself the most birdie looks without dropping strokes. I think that's the key to playing good in tournaments. Love to hear that. So, that's cool insight. Um, So this is kind of where I wanted to go next. I was thinking about it. Let's talk about your 42% circle two putting i mean that's it, that's incredible I, I don't think people really understand you know it sounds like 42 percent whatever it's less than 50 but i don't think people understand how 
incredible that it is. How? What's I just how, I I don't even know what to ask. Like, what's what's the mindset behind it all? How do you do? Is it just practice, or do, are you just running and gunning, think, thinking like I'm gonna make it? And doesn't matter. It was a little disappointing because I was like 43 percent at one point in the Yikes. season. Yikes! I, I believe I dropped to 40, like point something, four, four or 40 percent, like point yeah. something. So I, I think it's still the first time ever anyone's been over 40 percent. So that's kind of a cool thing to have. Um, I also think it's. I mean, we're getting it's pretty close to the limit of how good you can do. I think we might have a season where someone goes 45%. Uh, I definitely could have done it this year. I think uh, Portland Open this year, I went like two for 25 from circle two. And none of them were like bad putts. I just hit the cage, chain out left, stuff like that. And one tournament like that can drop it so far to where now you have to go 80% the next tournament on over 20 putts to then just make up for what you just did. Um, on how bad he did so that, that's that's the difficult part about circle two um i also like it because i think it's a pretty accurate stat um over the entire season um you know we we all get a wide range of circle two putts you have deep ones you have short ones and stuff like that so it's a little more i mean but putting stats are pretty accurate i feel like because we all get a, a an even amount of short and long putts i believe yeah um that, that brings me to a question i have because uh, the people that know me when i talk about uh, uh scoring stats like this is i say all putting stats are actually driving stats um and of course th that's within reason because in order to have a 42 percent circle two putting you need to be a good circle two putter it's not anyone can do that yeah my question is do you do you think that you had more short circle two putts than another really good putter and that helps you out because you're a better let's say you're a better driver or the other way around you could be a worse driver and you're getting more 40 uh, 40 foot looks where they're getting you know 30 foot looks just inside the circle so they are making their circle one x putts but you're making your circle two putt but it's kind of a similar putt i, I, I could, I could see it both ways i think it applies a lot more to the circle one stat um i'm not hating on him but andrew marweed just purely if you're looking based off stats, I think he was like 150th in throwing. And so when you do have a stat like that, a lot of the times on par threes, you're landing in the fairway after one, but you're probably only like 80 feet from the basket. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't quite get that circle two, but you're, you're pretty much never not going to get up and down from 80 feet. Um, and so I feel like, I feel like, and obviously I, I, I think he's just the best circle and putter anyway, but I also think it did help his stats a little bit that he, probably through to you know just outside circle two quite a bit you know laid up and then maybe most of his layups were just a little bit outside the bullseye that's not uncommon especially you know a player like him he's probably running that 80 footer as well mm -hmm. and so you're probably gonna end up you know 15 20 feet away which is outside bullseye anyway um you yeah, know i see that that goes along with my thinking and i and i think to get to that top of the list you pass the eye test either way people look at andrew marweed putt and they're like yeah that guy is a fantastic putter people look at you putt especially at circle two and they're like yeah that guy is a fantastic putter so it it passes the eye test and it's kind of hard to like go against it and like it, there's no there's there's you, you can't do the data analysis on it with what we have right now mm -hmm. to really say Hey, I actually think differently. I think the stats are skewed because uh, they pass the eye test, and you don't have the data to prove prove it otherwise. So it's tough. Uh, but I, I like everything that you're saying. I, I kind of feel along the lines of that. Well, you can also look at it as you know maybe being a better driver can actually hurt your circle one putts because uh -huh. you end up being just inside the circle a ton of times versus someone that throws a bad tee shot, pitches up, tap in par, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Where a lot of times, you know, those those better throwers end up about circle's edge i think circle's edge is a good scale about 
you know, where a, a player would probably land. I think Calvin lands there more than anybody. I feel like he, he I feel like he, I see him make more of those 28 to 35 footers more than anybody. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think you can probably look at it any way you want. You could be like, oh, well, this could affect your circle too. It can make it worse or better. Or I, I yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely probably something going on. But in my opinion, it's 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 pretty it's pretty fair overall. Yeah, I think eventually, stats wise, it's going to turn into you know, what's your circle one percentage putting for par or putting for birdie or even putting for bogey. Yeah. You say you know, hey, when Gannon Burr lands in circle one, he has a ninety four percent chance of making that birdie putt. Um, or you know, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think oh, one more thing. Because they already give those three options on how far the putt was. So, yep. like in circle one, it's either five feet, 16 feet, or 27 feet, it just goes up nine feet every time. Mm-hmm. Or circle two, it'd be 38, 49, 60 feet, which it goes up, I mean, what, 11 feet every time. Yeah. Um, just about. Yeah. No, I, no, so no, exactly. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I, think. Um, I don't know. Never mind. Well, I no, think no, it's, I, yeah, that's in, right. That's in, right. In I know the basket, right. like if you're um, to say in the basket for birdie from five feet, 16 feet 27 feet and then yeah is it yeah because those are those are the in between on the amount yeah. so it's zero to 11 yeah, 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 yeah. i think so it's 12 to 22 and so then the in between part of 12 to 22 is six no, yeah six, yeah six, so eight. for each yeah. they give you three ranges for circle one yeah, and circle that. two so i don't know why we don't use that in our stats already i mean there's no reason well, if we know the reason is that you don't track where your attempts are if you if you land circle one off your drive you're it's a good part point. three that's you true. Yeah, off yeah. Drive, you missed your putt. Where'd you putt from? It, you could have been yeah. one foot well, away. We'll, we'll just make we'll just make a driving stat then that have it yeah. says, oh, you, you landed, you know, circle one point one or circle one point two or point three. That way you know, oh, he's putting for birdie from circle one point two. That's the middle range or something yeah. like that. I think I mean you really think that's yeah. hard. You you could make it out. to where, you know, a player throws, Gannon throws a disc, and then he landed circle one. Okay, he's putting for birdie. What part of circle one is he putting from birdie from? So that I can see on you disc, oh, Gannon Burr is putting for birdie from you know, 11 to 22 feet. So he's yeah. somewhere in that range. And then, okay, he made the putt, you know, whatever you could do I that. Th- but I think it could be good for like, even the, the people, the, the commentators. I mean, yeah. maybe you have someone like pretty, like maybe like a round one where, you know, someone's not getting filmed. Let's say they're on a heater. They're pretty, pretty far ahead in the course. You're like, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah is, you know, whoever is 10 down through 16. They landed in circle one point three mm-hmm. on on hole 17 for birdie so they still have a tester putt to make and that way you kind of get that context of like or maybe you landed in circle 2.3 and then you're like oh well it's it's 60 feet you know probably won't make it i think that could that could even improve the commentary side a little bit and wouldn't be too hard to program i believe you want to hear my futuristic thought yes i think we should just drop circle one drop circle two just purely say it by footage hey this person lands between 20 and 30 feet 50% of the time. Just that's it. That well, this, makes way more sense to the viewer. Yeah, how am I going to win circle one. two putting leader again then? <laughs> you are the best putter from 33 to 40 feet. That that's can be what it is. No, yeah, that would be, that'd and be that cool. Is, that'd be a cool you. spread to see. It'd be cool Not to see like what the spread was. Like, one, like that, yeah. that, that doesn't make sense to people. Like we're, we're, we're kind yeah. of going further down this, this hole of, eh, it's tougher to figure out. So mm-hmm. I, I, wanted to move on and now i totally forget the question but it was about putting oh oh no i got it i got it sorry about that uh if you have a um let's say no wind uh totally open fields normal basket where is your uh range of like i am making this putt like you are confident over 50 percent you're putting for birdie where is that line of hey this is this is going in 
Well, if you uh, well, I feel like over fifty percent, and then knowing it's going to go in is a pretty big difference. So, like, <laughs> sure, you pick sure. one. I guess <laughs> you can pick one. Okay. Well, do know I'd, no I'd one say, is going in. Okay. You say what? Do know that you know it's going in. All right. Well, confidence. I guess. I guess, I guess I'll. I'll say it's probably more like a 90 or 85% range. Yeah, um, yeah. correct. Yeah. If, if I'm in circle one, anywhere in circle one, let's just say back edge. So let's say 30 feet. I expect to make that probably 85 to 90% of the time. I mean, I've I've come in this shop. I do it in my basement all the time. I do 100 putts from 30 feet, and I that's usually what I average. 85 to 90 is about it. And so that's probably what I would expect to average. Um now, if we're getting a little bit closer to 40 feet, I'd, I'd say like 40 feet, maybe 45 feet is getting closer to like, I really, really want to make it. I want to at least give it a really good bid. Um, and I feel pretty good about those. But if you get outside like 50 feet, it gets a little, gets a little hard, actually a lot harder. I, I think talking about that, you know, that the range of like feet on, I think, you'd see people put pretty solid up until about that, you know, 50 foot mark. And then it'd fall off quite a bit, especially when you bring any wind into play. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, like when I'm putting from that far with a little bit of wind, I just tell myself to put it within the right airspace because at that point, it's a little bit up to luck on whether you get a wind drop, wind bounce, maybe it slams or lifts out of your hand. Something fluky could happen by the basket, could flip your putter over, hyzer it. And so, Usually when I'm, you know, about that far in wind, I, I try to just put it in the general area and then hopefully it finds its way to the bottom. So what do now, you... I, go ahead, Evan. Uh, real quick. Yeah, you uh, go ahead. Now let's say it's an elevated basket. How do those percentages change? Standard um, elevated basket. I actually kind of like putting on elevated baskets. Um, Is that because why. you're better at it or because you're you're less worse than other people. It, like, I'm not saying you like you're bad at them, but do yeah. you get where I'm saying? Like, your I, I think I'm, I think I'm better than other people are at it. And that could be, I think for two reasons, one, I'm really tall. So my release points already a little bit higher. Uh, and then two, I put nose down. And so it's still kind of acting like a normal putt. So if the basket's a lot higher up and my putter's nose down, it's still kind of, it's still kind of hitting flat where other people are almost putting at a, a you know, much more nose up uh, angle. And, I feel like I see a lot of a lot of spit outs on not like a little bit of spit outs on on elevated baskets. I know we, we've seen Drew Gibson kind of complain about it mm -hmm. a little bit. You know, he doesn't like elevated baskets. And I think that could be because he is just shorter and he has a little bit of a nose up putt. And so, well, I mean, it's true. Like, that's just how that works. Is You know, you, you hit high left with an, a super nose up putt and it's going to try to fall out with mine being a little more no, nose down. And it's coming with a lot of pace. It can kind of kind of slip through that first layer of chains get caught in the second layer and then fall down yeah and so i mean that's why i like to, i like to use a very firm putter is because i think there's a pretty big misconception of like oh yeah you know a soft putter will grab the chains i think it's actually like the opposite i think a slick putter is better because especially for like those high left catches you want it to kind of get through that first layer of chains and that way it gets stuck in there now the soft putters a lot of times they roll out they don't they slap and they roll out where the slick putters will actually kind of slide through the basket, but not go through the back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do sometimes you get pole spit outs. Obviously, you know, it happens. I'm it's pretty frequent for me. I mean, Matt grabbed my putter and he was like, well, no wonder you get so many spit outs. You're putting with a piece of wood. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but it's, it's all preference. Yeah. Personally, I think putting with a stiffer putter 
and somewhat firm is probably about the highest percentage. And that's why I think my circle two is pretty solid is just because, I mean, just like driving, there's a wrong and right way to putt and a right, a wrong and right way to enter the basket to where, you know, my putt is actually making the basket a lot bigger. It's, it's coming down in the basket, it's nose down, slight hyzer. So if it hits low left, it can scoop in. If it hits the right side, it can still get that right side catch where a flatter putt can actually, it doesn't like to scoop in low left because the, the wing is a little bit higher up. Mm -hmm. And right side, it's not diving into the basket, and so it can push out right. So there's definitely a way. Um, if you look at all, all of our really solid putters, they all have that slight hyzer, and they're kind of coming in pretty firm. So you talk about nose down. Is is the best way for that nose down punting it on hyzer? And how do you, per se, do you think this is the best way to putt nose down because i've i've tried it and it just doesn't compute with me personally so like is there a, a secret technique or is it just like figuring it out just with your own with your own body and your own hand or are you just like flicking it nose down a certain way yeah i definitely i mean at, for me that knows how to put nose down it's really really easy for me to put nose down i'd say like i'd say i put a little too nose down especially maybe um when it gets a little windy out, nose down is actually really hard to control sometimes. And so I, I go to a little bit more of a spinny putt or I just putt it like a million miles an hour. So it cuts through the wind a little bit better, um, which, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty solid putter from circle one. Um, I think I was like right around 10 to 15th. So pretty solid still. Um, but I, what I think about when I'm putting is pop my back three fingers kind of like up like that. And so, a lot of people teach to open the hand whenever you're putting. And I think that's really, really wrong because then you're losing connection with the disc when you're opening your hand like that. What I try to do is I try to use my back three fingers to pop it up like that. So, mm -hmm. that so when I'm like putting Alvin when I'm, commercial, when I'm, like, you know, that commercial that comes on DGM with yeah, Alvin saying like how that. he pops it up in the air. It's the same idea as that. It's all in the fingers. It's all, it's all right here in the fingers. When you're coming up, they're going here and they're extending the back three are kind of are kind of pinched on the bottom of the disc and they're kind of extending and that's where all the spin comes from so we can have a really clean arm swing still get that spin from the fingertips and so whenever i'm thinking of putting i'm thinking of like almost can you got me can you got me a disc is he eating a jar of guacamole looks like potato salad and so like when i'm putting i try to not open my hand like that i try to like let it spin out of my hand. So you see like right there, it's always on my fingertips. It's not like I'm letting go of the disc. Now, once you start to get to a certain height, yeah, then it just kind of falls off like that. But, you know, so that way, that, that makes it a lot easier to I putt, I feel like. So um, that way I'm not letting go. It's spinning out of your hand. And so you're getting, you're getting all the connection in the fingers to spin the disc out and you get a lot more spin, a so lot more power. You, you, it's almost like a follow through on your shot instead of, well, like I know when you put you, you uh, yeah, again, uh, and hates follow through. your hands back, but it's a, it's a, a follow through part one, then a follow through, a follow through part two. Your yeah. fingers I mean, are following. The other through. thing too, is just keeping the disc like really in a, in a straight path. And now for me, it's a little bit left of my body, but it's still a straight path to the basket. Some people is centered straight to path to the basket. Usually you don't want to be right of your right of your body because it, it kind of makes it a little bit hard to get power. But you know, as long as your putter is traveling in a straight line to the basket while it's in your hand, you should be making most of your putts. Um, where people go really wrong, and 
it's when people teach, you know, all that matters is that straight fall through shaking hands with the basket. Well, they never tell you, you know, you're doing swinging it way out wide in your hand. You could be going here. The biggest am mistake I see is they come down, they swing out and around to the left to get more power. They open up toward the center and then they fall through straight. Now, if you look at the fall through, it looks good, but the path was like this. Mm -hmm. That's never going to be consistent if you're trying to make it in a straight basket. So that's where like, you know, my fall through doesn't even matter anymore when, you know, once it's one, the disc is out of your hand, nothing actually matters. You know, um, that, that's my opinion. Gotcha. I feel like that's always true in sports, but when you, when you're learning sports, they, uh, yeah, yeah. They're learning the mechanics your, of it. Yeah. You look yeah. at a lot of the basketball players that are really good shooters and they kind of like do a quick little pop and they bring their hand back. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. It, it, a lot of sports and people are really good at sports. It's just a very natural movement. Now the mechanics leading up to that movement are really good, but I, yeah, I, I do think they teach they teach follow through a little bit too much in a lot of sports. The follow through shouldn't be like an actual action that you're trying to like really exaggerate. It should just be like, okay, let me stop my momentum from the action I'm doing. And so, you know, when you're throwing a backhand, you're not like really trying to bring your left side way up. It should just come up naturally. It shouldn't like you shouldn't be thinking, oh, let me bring my left side up really hard. Well, it's not going to matter. Disc is out of your hand. What you should be thinking about is what you're trying to do. Throw the disc. Throw it hard. Wherever, I mean, well, not hard, but like throw it firm, confident, wherever you're trying to aim. And then your body will naturally, you know, be controlled if you're if you put in the work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Obviously, I, you don't want to be too, you know, erratic with it. But yeah, just I actually it. think it's the opposite. It, like the way they, the reason that people teach the follow through is so that they uh, don't stop too early. So if you have like they before you, when, once you actually release it, then you are good. I agree. Uh, but I'm guessing kids or youth or new players in any sport might be stopping the action before it's fully released. So it's to teach them to finish the action mm-hmm. to then yeah. overdo it afterwards. Well, so I think that's I, why like once teaching good, the I get point, your reason the, hit point's the most important it. part in yes. my opinion. That's why like yes. teaching the hit point instead of the follow through. If you're if you're teaching the hit point and all of the momentum is going into the hit point, then once the hit point's over, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just the way of like, teaching to get to that point. I feel like there's multiple ways, and and sure, you think that one way is overtaught, and that's that's totally fair. Uh, I I feel I get your point, and I I totally understand it. Just trying to I add think, on to it. I think the way that I'm kind of seeing it, like Gannon had brought up with basketball, is a lot of players when they are practicing their shoot around before a game, they're holding that follow through every single time because they're just trying to get the motion. But in a game, they have a defender in their face. They're falling to the yeah. left. They might be stepping back and falling backwards almost. So the variables and the variations that players in their sports kind of change up what the follow through is like, you know, if you're on a wooded hole, you get a tree behind you, you're not following through all the way with your back end or you're going to smack that tree. So now you have to commit to where your hit point is with cutting off your follow through. I think the same thing happens with putting. If you're straddling, if you have a headwind, if you have a tailwind, if it's left to right, right to left, there's so many different variables that that is causing this swing. But the actual motion itself should be what Gannon's talking about, I think. And he's explaining it, I think, actually very well, is getting that hit point consistent. I've always told people the best thing you can do is putt from 20 to 25 feet in an area where there's no wind. Learn how to get that follow-through. Learn how to get that hit point. Get that release. Mechanically make it sound. Then you're going to find more confidence on the disc golf course to where, okay, it's not going to be a perfect putt. Rarely do you ever sit there. You have a 25-footer with absolutely no wind, flat ground, the best basket in the world just it does not happen that much in our sport so being uh, able to adapt to the conditions 
is also huge, but having that hit point is key. Yeah, what comes to like like practice putting, same thing. I think it's a little bit of misinformation is people say like people will say like almost only practice putt outside because that way you're in the conditions that you're actually going to play in. And now, obviously, yes, you can you can learn from that and get good, but you're also you're almost never getting, especially if it's a little like a decently windy, you're never getting a consistent Mm -hmm. motion with your arm. And so I, I agree with Nick. Like I like I I pretty much. I don't like to, and I hate it, and I pretty much never do practice putt outside ever. And I also never practice putt circle two putts ever, like ever. I mean, I could go an entire year without practicing a circle two, and then when I get to tournaments, I'm fine because of the way it translates um, from about that 30-foot range. All you have to do, your body knows how to throw the disc where you want to put it at. And so for me, all I got to do is change my aiming point, and the disc just falls in the basket. Mm-hmm. And so – I, I think it's a lot more important, you know, obviously it's important to know how to putt and wind and, you know, a, you know, obviously being a pro, I know how to putt and wind. I know how I can, cause I've done it before and I, I have practiced putting and wind before, but I don't think it should be the main source of practice. I think you should get your stroke Agreed. dialed in first, then go outside and practice putt in the wind and see how it affects your putt. Cause then it is important. Then you got to know, you know, what the certain wind will do to your putt. That way you can commit in tournaments. That's the thing I is like there, there is, there is good putting styles and there is bad putting styles. So like Gannon saying like Gannon versus Evans putt are two completely different putts, which is why Gannon from 50 to 60 feet can throw that disc up in the air and have a better shot of it landing into the basket than Evan does because of the style of putting, but also because of the consistency of practicing. Even that 20 to 25 footer, you build so much momentum. Realistically, besides for just the five feet that the difference is, there's not much of a change in your form and how much power you are putting from 20 to 25 feet. There's not that much of a difference. So if you get good at 20, you're going to be pretty decent at 25 and then keep pushing it back. But eventually, I I think a lot of pro players will agree with this. And it's funny because Ricky, he'll talk about his practice putting sessions. He starts from 60, 55, 50, 45 feet. He starts back there, dials in, gets his whole body engaged to it and then moves to those closer putts. But I think every single player, especially if you take out circle one, we were talking about this last week, you take out circle one and put it to like 40, 45 feet. I think we're going to see players struggle a little bit more because the body can only do the same motion at a certain you know, percentage with all the variables that we have in disc golf to where like, there will never be a 100% or a 90 or an 80 or a 70% putter from 50 to 60 feet. It just won't happen because there's too much margin of error when you start pushing back that far. Yeah, for putting three pointers in basketball, you're never going to see someone shoot over 70%. I mean, what exactly the best ever is around 45 to 50%, and that's mm-hmm. crazy good, and that's insane. Yeah, I mean, look at even pitchers hitting in the MLB, you know, like 30%, or excuse me, not know. pitchers, a batter's hitting in the MLB. I mean, you're hoping to hit 250 to 400, you know, you are worse than you are, you know, better percentage wise, and they're making the big bucks. So yeah, eventually, you're just like almost unheard of. Four hundred unheard of. Game. Yeah, and bring the steroids back. About forty yeah. percent, uh, and get a better putted better from yeah. circle two than uh, the best baseball players uh, bat. 
which is incredible. Of course, two different sports, lots of different variables yeah. again. And I want to go back to the point you said, how you, you don't practice circle two putts. I, I want to just get some clarification. Is that you, let's say, you know, off season in your, you know, daily or weekly putting routine, that's when you don't do circle two putts, or is it also included on like your pre round warmups kind of when you're at that practice basket on the course before you go out on your round, do you not even do circle two putts then? Or at that point, do you do hit a few circle two putts to get that uh, feeling down? Yeah, before tournaments, I do. Yeah, I, 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 that's a good word for it. I'd consider it a warm up, um, kind of getting just the feel. The and like I said, and obviously, you know, my stroke stays about the same, and the power actually stays about the same. The only thing that changes is where I'm aiming, and so the most important part for me is to know where to aim. And when I can see a putt kind of fly that exact line I want to fly. That's it. perfect. That's exactly that's exactly what I'm looking for when I'm warming up for a tournament. Uh, you know, get my get my round my pre round warm up in. Um, but where I do like my most practice and actually get my reps in, I don't ever practice circle two butts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good insight. I love hearing that. Um, so, do you think you have an advantage because you bring your putter down to the complete left side of your body, or is it just like? what feels natural to you or do you think that's an actual real advantage that that's the reason you're putting so so well or so far definitely adds a little bit of definitely adds a little bit of power it's not so much as i'm like because i'm not actually like really putting on my left side of my body it's just because my back leg is behind my right leg and now if i bring my left leg out and i still bring down to the same spot then it looks like i'm putting from the middle of my body and so that's why i talked about like as long as the straight line is there that's all that matters and so like Mm -hmm. It's, it's more about the perception of where my back leg is. If my back leg is more left, it looks like I'm putting from the center of my body. Um, a little bit a little bit more, I guess. But I definitely like, I definitely still in my straddle putts come a little bit left just because it's a little bit easier to get power. And now I'm not, I'm not swinging it out left. I'm just starting with it left and then yeah. coming to the middle. So it's still a straight line. It's not, it's not looping around like I'm telling, like I said, the AMs a lot of times will swoop it out left. I'm not doing that. I'm just starting it left, and it's going in a straight line at the basket from there. Agreed. I think a lot of the chat is trying to compare what we were talking about, kind of 70% from 50 feet. They're comparing it to other sports. Like, you know, if you move back the bowling, uh, like the lane for bowling, say 10, 15 feet, people are still going to find a way to bowl a 300 at the same or darts or anything like that at the same time that all the different variations that we have on a disc golf course you got elevation from 50 feet you got wind you got rain you got you know mud you got all these different things you got roots are you straddling are you jumping can you even jump you know you have a death putt we just won't see the percentages i think in my lifetime of disc golf i don't think i'll ever see someone from circle two putt above 50 to 55 percent like I, I, I don't see it happening. I don't think that'll happen, especially the way that tour courses are moving. I think courses getting a little bit longer, a little bit harder. You're going to see a lot of players ending up short of circle two. We were talking about Andrew Marweed earlier. Throwing wise, not the furthest thrower, but he's able to lay up from 90 to 120 feet. He puts himself into circle one. So the times that he does get into circle two, if he misses that putt, it hurts his percentage that much more. Um, one of the questions that we had, Gannon, last week, we were just kind of briefly talking about it before we wrap up, is uh, extending circle one. You know, it's a 33 to 34 foot circle that we have right now, pushing it back to 40, 45, 50 feet. What's kind of your take on that? I, I I wouldn't mind it at all. I think I think we got to eliminate step putting or jump putting 
because like you don't need to do that if you're like especially on the pro tour there was no reason that you need to be step putting or jump putting outside the circle now or what sorry outside of that let's just say that range mm -hmm. that kind of 35 foot 33 foot circle range if you're outside of that you know i i don't think you shouldn't have to jump until 60 feet in my opinion like and even then that's a little bit weird because like but it's also kind of it's kind of a weird rule though because then almost everything i'm not sure if i'm saying it right but like would become like a falling putt then like you, mm -hmm. you what then you just can't fall through in the fairway either so you have to have some kind of regulation to that way you can still kind of fall through in the fairway but in terms of like yeah circle one i i wouldn't mind it moving back to maybe 40 45 feet would be a good number that way it's still kind of that range you want to make it but it's just a little more difficult do you feel like players have to step putt or do you feel like they feel there's an advantage there and so it's easier to step out like i think it's easier to step up a 35 footer than it is to just do a regular stagger from 31 to 32 feet you know like me I, being able to yeah. fall forward and the way that i've developed a step putt i think is great now same thing for 45 feet 50 feet the way my putting motion is, I don't have as much pop as you do with your putt. So going from 45, 50 feet, it is much easier for me to get all my momentum going forward in a legal putt. So, you know, like obviously if they moved it to 40 or 45 feet for circle one, I would have to adapt and I would be able to adapt with it and figure out how do I get more pop on that putt to get the consistency still. But I, I feel as though it's more people that feel it's an advantage right now rather than having to chris dickerson can putt from 40 feet standing still and he can probably do it better than most people but he has found that it's consistent and better for him to step up from 35 to 40 feet maybe yeah i mean i i agree i think i do I, there's very few players that actually and there are players out there on the tour that like kind of need to putt to get the power there because a lot of times they just miss short if they if they can't do that step putt mm -hmm. or jump putt but i agree i mean i i step putt and jump putt sometimes i don't well, I don't jump putt until I'm like 150 feet, 125 feet ish. Um, but you know, I, I've definitely, and it kind of just depends if I feel on or off. But I'll, I mean, I take advantage of the rule because you, you mean you're if you're allowed to do, it, I'm going to do it. You yes. Know? But I also wouldn't mind it changing. Maybe that's just me because I can putt far without having to, you know, get too big of a swing. I mean, my putt is basically a mini backhand, just really controlled. Same with like Isaac. Isaac's putt is kind of just like a mini backhand in, in a way. We still get that lag. It's kind of like in every sport, you you try to develop that lag. That way you can act as a slingshot, even if it's a little a little motion. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would, I think it'd be pretty cool if we could do that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, shout out to Overthrow. They said KJ probs as well. KJ is actually, I think, a better example. KJ from 35, 36 feet. I think is a much better putter than from 28 to 29 feet because he's able to do that athletic squat, jump putt into the basket. Feel like he makes those a lot more. Uh, Evan or yeah, Ben, it'd be, any it'd be weird to see him not jump putt for, I feel yeah. like from that, like, yeah, I wonder if he'd struggle like pretty bad. If I think he, he wouldn't. Yeah. I, I personally think I mean, he would, but yeah, but I mean, it's, it's kind of just like throwing, you know, 550. It, it's, it, yes. it, I mean, sure, you can. You can make as many arguments as there is, is like, you know, everyone's given a different body. Everyone's given a different frame. Just how I'm taller, it's easier for me to throw far. You have those short people where it's a lot easier for them to be accurate. And so, in my opinion, pretty much everything in disc golf, if it's not to an extreme, it's a skill. It's a learned skill to have. Mm -hmm. It's a skill to throw 500, 550 feet. You have short players that have done that before, which means it's, it is obtainable. There's no reason certain players can't throw 550. Mm -hmm. Like, 
if you put the work in, you work out, you get your timing perfect, it's possible for a short person, just how it's possible for me to be accurate. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. You know, I'm working on being accurate and nose up from 250. I think Calvin's Calvin and Matty O are about the best examples we have, maybe even Ricky, that are tall players with lanky frames that are still accurate. And so that, that's kind of where I'm aiming to be. That's definitely like the main thing I've been working on this offseason is trying mm -hmm. to get a, a consistent swing to where it's always going to be you know, I'm not going to have those kind of shanks. I'll I'll get up and down more. I'll just the percent will be higher that I'll be able to get up and down. So I think I think everything's pretty much a learned skill if you if you don't take it too if, far. If you're not accurate, then I don't know what I am. Very you're, much you're not, not accurate. Not, you're definitely not accurate. You're, <laughs> you're about the most inaccurate player I've ever seen. Thank you, <laughs> Evan. Uh, hey, any uh, any last questions? Though. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, bro. going back to. KJ being better at a short circle two than a long circle one. Like you guys have no idea how much it hurts me that we can't figure it out that I, uh, I'm a person who loves just to have the data to say what it is. We can sit here on this and argue back and forth all we want about how it out actually changed. I love seeing the numbers tell me, uh, it hurts that I can't figure that out. Yeah. I want to say, you know, KJ is this much better by that, you know, just being able to jump, but we can't. So I, I, <sighs> Just one day. I want to see you. it. That's all. Because it's so cool. Yeah. But that's all I got. I feel like we've talked putting to death, but ben? I feel like we could still talk about it so much more. Yeah. I know, right? Anything else? Um, Where are you going to? No, I'm just kidding. No, we're all good. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, again, and, uh, and Matt as well. And, you know, everyone, thank you for... Letting hey us guys. Use, yeah, letting us use Titan Studio. Hey guys, Matt here. <laughs> we look forward yeah, to... I'm stoked uh, to, to uh, check out its uh, Battle Stakes. Stake Battle? Right? Stake Battle. Stake Battle, Stake excuse battle. me. Yeah. Yeah. I like Battle Stakes. <laughs> I, uh, Matt, Matt Graham was saying that he's potentially playing around with you guys. Make sure you disc it. I just want to see how bad he gets the smoke from you guys. <laughs> Nick, I don't know if you... I mean, you don't got to worry about me. It's about... It's like... 25 degrees so yeah. i'm not gonna be putting good i don't yeah. know if you saw uh, the, the, for 90 percent of the podcast listeners this doesn't matter but i don't know if you saw nick but gannon shot what was it 15 down on pyramids whites that it, seven no it was 16 17 down. no it was 15 16 i think it was 16 it, or, weren't you guys like rushing and yeah, yeah it was like on in an hour yeah. and it was insane i was playing, I was playing blind too <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is pyramids par 57 for silvers for, for whites yeah i think they have I don't. They have that one par four, par four, thirteen. Is right? that the only one now? Yeah. Yeah, the skinny one. So it's yeah, only par fifty-five. Four. That's all par three. Par yeah, 55. it's only par three now. And it was uh pretty incredible. It, yeah. Uh, and it made me realize like um how much better the pros are than yeah, we which realized. Ones did you miss? Oh, eighteen. He missed eighteen. I missed eighteen, and then I missed. Oh, did you get the oh, uphill I, one? I missed like a, I like missed like or three and a half uphill. It's like uphill, like two fifty. It's like a super short, super uphill hole. Seven. It's like maybe like six or seven. Seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I like hit the first tree and then I almost, I almost can't can like the 120 footer yeah. up the hill, but yeah, it was insane. Yeah. That was, that was kind of like, I wasn't, I wasn't too focused on trying to shoot 18 down. Cause I don't know how hard the course was. Yeah. Now looking back, I definitely could took my time and, easily birdied that hole i should never miss that hole yeah, yeah but sure at the you time can. i was kind of just like eh, whatever well next year oh, when we I get you back out here i missed the one cole aced i think hole four. Oh, oh that's no that's I, got, that's I got one eagle i had one eagle that's five five, five. yeah five, 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 i had, like I had an eagle somewhere right? or is that the old v tree so you probably old two hole 13 oh 
for the Eagles. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Oh, way to go, Cole. I thought it was. I, I thought it was six. That's what it is. Six whole is like five a super ace. Ball. Yeah. So yeah, whole five. That's a good one, Gannon. Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. You as well. Thank you, both of you guys, for coming on. Looking forward to the content for the off season, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys soon. Okay. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Take that on this Thursday, Titan Disc Golf YouTube channel. Hell yeah. Everybody go check it out. Titan Disc Golf. Bye. Their channel on YouTube. But I guess that does it for us as well, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to another wonderful Monday night of the Nick and Matt show. Fortunately, technology-wise, I thought we actually did pretty good tonight. We were a few minutes late, but you know, hey, it happens. So Ben, Evan, thank you guys for Ooh. joining us. Matt is off traveling. Safe travels to him. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. Don't forget to comment, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have a ton of cool things happening for the 2024 season. We look forward to sharing them all with you very, very soon. Chat, you guys were electric tonight. Thank you so much for being a part of it. All the day one OGs. Thank you just so much for being a part of the show. Tell someone you love them this week. Catch you in the next one. Ben, you're awesome. Matt, you're awesome. Nick, you're awesome. Matt, you're awesome. Paige, you're awesome. Gan, you're awesome. Evan. Evan. Did wow. I really miss Evan? <laughs> wow. I swear I said Evan in my head already. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Evan, you're awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, awesome, Pierce documentary. Don't forget to check it out. Idio Sports. See you later. Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.